No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, my friends, no comparison. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season finale week here on BOA Audio as we wrap up season eight of the program with two episodes tonight, or today I should say, with our good friend Adam Davies, and then Thursday night with David Polides. And today, folks, we're breaking the rules a bit on BOA Audio. We usually don't have the guest on a guest on twice in one season, unless it's something very special, something very groundbreaking. And that's what we're doing here, not only on this program, but also as part of the season finale week. Adam Davies is coming back to the program. Adam, you're still with us, right? We had some uh, difficulties there before we started the show. Adam, you're back, right? I'm here. I'm good. I'm glad <laughs> to be here. Good, good, good. As I said, we're doing something pretty big here tonight because – Adam has a story that he's wanted to tell for a year and a half. He actually told me the uh, the loose outlines of it all, sort of the skeletal gist of the story back in February and said, when the time is right, when I can share this story, I want to come on with All of America Audio and share it with the world first. So we're getting a worldwide exclusive here on BOA Audio, and that's why we're tying it all into season finale week. This is a big, big show, folks. I think it's going to really – turn a lot of heads in the Bigfoot research community and uh, really get a lot of news going in the cryptozoology world when you hear the full story unfold. He's got a new book out. It is titled Man Beasts, A Personal Investigation, and I had the opportunity to read it over the last couple of days and enjoyed it quite a bit. And for the folks who have been listening to Adam on BOA Audio for years, you definitely want to pick up Man Beast, a personal investigation, because it sort of acts as a companion to the many, many, many hours we've spent talking to Adam on the program. So with all that said, thank you, Adam, for coming on BOA Audio again. Thank you for sharing this story with us. I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing it with the world and hearing the details of it in depth. Welcome back, my friend. Oh, man, it's a pleasure to be here, and it's good to finally talk about this. We've, we've been brewing this for a while um, and I appreciate your integrity in keeping this, um, keeping this story under wraps. Um, and as you know, um, I agreed not to talk about this publicly until I'd been given permission uh, by uh, Brian Sykes to do so. That permission was granted. So here we are this evening. Yes, very exciting stuff, very exciting stuff. Uh, and it's, it's all contained in the book Man Beasts, A Personal Investigation. It's sort of the crescendo of a story that's 
unfolding slowly in the background of the book. I really like that a lot. It's sort of the underlying thread that is Bigfoot lurking in the uh, in the in the periphery of your of your research career, sort of always haunting you, teasing you, calling you to come and check out the Bigfoot and look into it. And as we see it sort of unfold over the course of the book, it explodes in this. Uh, in this series of trips to America to research the Bigfoot. So I guess give people a little thumbnail of Man Beast, a personal investigation, sort of sum up kind of how I just explained to the folks this Bigfoot element that's at work in the book. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think what you said encapsulates it very well. So the book initially starts with a great piece of research that um, I did in China with Jeff Meldrum, who wrote the foreword to the book. And... Um, we went out to investigate the Yeren, uh, the Chinese wild man. I'd always been really interested in the stories there. And so I pitched an idea um, to MonsterQuest uh, to go out and do um, a show there. And they were up for it. They, they, they were very, very interested. So we did um, that show. And while I was there, um, I took some time, because I was bunking with Jeff, to talk to him about the Patterson-Gimlin film. Because I'd never really explored Bigfoot. Uh, I mean, I'd been, as you know, all over the world to lots of different places. But I'd never really shown a massive interest in Bigfoot. It was a peripheral thing to me. And there were two reasons. Firstly, because I always felt it was more plausible that um, I would look for, um, if there were um, ape-like creatures, man-beasts in in the world still in existence, I'd look for them in very remote areas, Hmm. um, jungles like Tamatra. Um, because that seems more scientifically plausible. And also I'd researched those, and, and that was my real passion. And, but, and secondly, I wasn't sure what I could bring to the party because there were a number of researchers. It's a vast field, this Bigfoot community. There's all sorts of people with all sorts of views. Some of them love one another. Some of them absolutely hate one another. It's a weird, weird hotspot. Yeah, yeah, and I wasn't sure whether community. I wanted to delve into it. You know, I thought, oh, do I need all this crap? Well, probably <laughs> not. Um, so, 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 but... Um, but uh, when I was with Jeff and he explained the Patterson Gimlin film, I thought, well, this looks really convincing. He went through it frame by frame. Um, and so I, I, it was at that point, I think, when I started to think, well, that, that's going to be something I'm going to do at some point. Uh, and, of course, I went on a number of other expeditions looking for and refining my ideas and notions about what these creatures might be, how they might behave and how they might exist. Um, uh, you know, I went to um, Nepal. I did a film there, a two-parter there in the Himalayas, which was great. Um, and, and it featured one of my friends, a producer, Jared McGillian, who comes along later on to the Bigfoot search. Um, I went to Russia. I went to Sumatra. And there's some amazingly poignant moments there as well. Um, but it was... Eventually, they ended up... Um, I eventually I ended up in America, as you know, and I ended up doing some of this research, and that kind of mushrooms um, to the end game, which was doing the research with Brian Sykes and Laurie uh, Laurie Sykes. Hmm. All right, we got a caller already somewhere uh, from somewhere in the world, and I don't know if we should take them uh, yet or not. So, uh, caller, if you're waiting, we just started the program, so hold on tight. Looks like it's someone in the Oregon area. So, someone. It is not Laurie though, because I have Laurie's number here saved. Okay. Okay. So that was a little odd, but uh, <laughs> bear with me. So, <laughs> caller, hold on tight. They must be that excited to uh, to get into the story here. Um, <laughs> We've not even started. <laughs> I know. No kidding. No kidding. They're like, I have uh, 35 questions for you about this uh, Dr. Sykes thing. So, I guess. <laughs> 
Well, join the club, caller, because I do too. And I've been waiting uh, a year and a half here to ask Adam all these questions. So we're going to start with that. So, Adam, let me back up a bit because I want to first talk about, like, it feels a bit odd in a way. And we should sort of, like, put the address the elephant in the room of sorts. That you know we're talk we're going to be talking about Dr. Sykes a lot here <laughs> over the course of this conversation. So it's not only is it cool that we're we're invoking him into this story because he was a part of the story, but he's cool with you doing this, and you know that that we're not telling tales out of school here, and that we're not just sort of like trying to trying to uh, you know use him for any sort of advancement here. We're just sharing a story that actually really went down. Well, no, this is this is my this is my version of the story as I saw it, and Laurie will obviously have her own, and Brian will have his. But I mean, the the intrinsic facts as they stand is we. Um, I, I've known Brian for for a number of years. In fact, it was in 2011 I went. I did a talk at the CSZ on on Sumatra, and uh, and at that after that talk, he had been debating whether he was going to launch his project. Obviously, he had a. Um, a number of ideas, but um, he told me afterwards that um, he was persuaded after he saw he saw my talk at the CFZ that it was um, a subject that was worthy of investigation. He had been considering it, and that was that was a turning point because he thought that he there were people who were doing credible research who we may be able to get plausible samples from. So um, on that basis, we um, discussed it and went through all the details. And I went down to Oxford and talked about it with him. And uh, my original focus was um, on the Orang Pendek. And that was what we, we talked about, because that was my interest. Right. But um, after I went to um, the U.S. in September um, 2012, I told him what had happened there. And again, he, he was interested in the story. And, 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 but he, of course, he wanted to investigate it um, for himself. So together with Rhett Mullins and Laurie, um, who was part of Team Big Pathology, he went to that area. And um, he was impressed by what he observed. Uh, he, it was, you know, he was there thinking, well, I definitely can hear knocking. It's definitely subterranean. It's definitely not Laurie that's doing it. This is an area that's worthy of research, and we should, we should um, concentrate on gathering some samples. So... Brian paid for me to go out to do some research with Laurie, and hence the story, um, the kind of remarkable story, begun. So the three of us went and did that research. He asked me to keep it confidential until um, until I was given permission to to talk about it in my book, and um, that permission was subsequently granted. So here we are. Yeah, exactly. So he's cool with this. Have you heard from him like since all this started to trickle out, or is he uh, kind of? Are we like the canary no, in the coal no, no. mine here? No, well, it's only just out now. This, yeah, this is it. This is it. No, it's only just <laughs> out now. I mean, this is the first time I've talked about it. But but he did give me permission to talk about it. So so here we are. All right. So now you've been given permission to tell this story. He comes to America. He checks out this area first with Lori. Then he comes back and he contacts you and he wants to do this this. Uh, Secret expedition. Why did he? Why did he want to keep it secret? Just so there wasn't going to be a whole bunch of. Uh, well, you don't want. You don't want. Yeah, I, I presume that you wouldn't want people. Yeah, you don't want people crawling all over it um, in, in the first instance. And also, he's, he's conducting important scientific research. I mean, he's one of the leading world's leading geneticists. He wants to gather samples. He doesn't want people trump, trumpeting about it. He wants it to be. Um, wants it to be professional. So, so, so that's what that's what it's all about. He, and, and it wouldn't have been appropriate to do um, to, to trumpet it at the time because if we had gathered samples which 
um, would have validated the existence of a Bigfoot, then that would have been something that would have had to go through a scientific paper and would have needed to have passed peer review. Hmm. And none of that could have happened if we were singing and dancing about it. It would have been unprofessional. Um, uh, so, so that was why, basically, and that's very good reasons. I don't think you trumpet your research until after you're ready to um, publish the conclusions, um, yeah. myself. So, so that, was where, that was where we were with it. So, uh, so, 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 so in that instance, and of course he'd, he'd had a direct experience because he'd been with Laurie and Rhett over to that area, and it had intrigued him enough to want to, to pay for me to come. All right, sounds good. Now we got Laurie here uh... On the uh, we got Lori on the line now, so let's let's bring her aboard the ship here. What's going on, Lori? Thanks Hello. for calling into BOA Audio. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Tim. Hi, Adam. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Hi, Lori. Uh, as I was telling Adam, I feel bad because I didn't. I, I kind of just uh, centered this around Adam because he's such a longtime friend of the show and everything. And then as I got more into the story of this expedition and everything, I realized how huge a role. You played in this. This was really sort of like the three amigos of like you and Doctor Price, uh, Doctor Sykes, and Adam. So, so it's like yeah. <laughs> the only the only guy we're missing is uh is, is Brian Sykes. So if he wants to call in, we'll, we'll be happy to have him. I know tonight, he needs to call in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so Adam, kind of, I don't know if you've been listening at all, but Adam uh, set the stage for for how this expedition sort of came about. But uh, what I, what okay. I was intrigued by. Well, I guess let's start out. This is all really haphazard because uh, we've known Adam forever, so uh, I really just jumped in without even introducing Adam very well and telling folks about Extreme Expeditions, his previous book, how he's traveled all over the world, uh, looking at these various cryptids, the Almasti, the Mokele Mamembe. He's, he's practically got a dual citizenship in Sumatra because he's been down there so often looking for the Orang Pende. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really kind but of... But not for the food, Tim. Yeah, not, not, the food. yeah not for the food. So... So I, 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 I feel bad in a way because uh, for the folks who are listening maybe for the first time ever, they're like, who, what is going on here with these guys? This is just like two guys sitting in a pub. But that's what it is when Adam and I get together. So for those newcomers, yeah, absolutely. That's sort of Adam's on your show like once a year, right? Adam is a, a, a fixture of the program at this point. Yes. I'm, I'm one of the biggest Adam Davies fans around. I'm actually, as we joked about earlier, I'm – I mentioned in the book for giving him a disturbing wake-up call uh, at one point, which we'll get to at some point in this <laughs> conversation. But to circle it all back around, Lori, introduce yourself to the BOA Audio listeners. Tell us a little bit about you. Tell us about your dad's research and uh, sort of shade the background here of this story and how, uh, you know, your your contributions to this, this epic Absolutely. tale. Absolutely. Okay. Well, um, okay. Well, I'm Laurie Simmons. I am co-author of my father's book, Tracking Bigfoot, and soon I will have the continuance of that book called Tracking Bigfoot, The Journey Continues. And actually, I wasn't a Bigfoot believer until after my father passed away back in 2010. And it was my father's dying wish that his book to be published and that the world does know the truth, that they do exist. My father lived in a small knit town in Marble Mount. It's based in the North Cascade Mountains. And he lived there for 30 years. And he would come across tracks and signs of Bigfoot living up there. And he started tracking Bigfoot for 28 years from the time he came across the Bigfoot print with his brother when he was hunting. And so 
My father, he lived completely off the grid. He lived off the land. uh, And he discovered while he lived in the Cascade Mountains that these squatches, the Bigfoots, lived in either direction of his home. And uh, truly, just truly amazing. And his book, Tracking Bigfoot, is his... It's his journal, and so the book that I wrote, The Journey Continues, is my journal, bringing Adam and other other people that I've brought with credentials to my father's location to help me um, finish my father's research, because unfortunately he passed away. He lost his battle to cancer before he could continue on with his research, and so that's where we started the Big Guy Project with Adam and Professor Brian Sykes is with Professor Brian Sykes' skills, his scientific skills, and Adam's research knowledge, field research knowledge, and my knowledge of their behavior patterns that I've studied since 2010, I brought that to the table, and we collaborated our skills and formed these just strategies and how we can obtain DNA on our project. And it's truly amazing. It was a -a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And my father always wanted a scientist to take him seriously, this mountain man, to study an apple that was eaten by a possible Bigfoot to him. Um, And I was able to do that for him. So it's really nice. It truly was a lifetime experience for me. It sounds remarkable. And, and what I thought was interesting in the book, uh, which I, I don't know if I fully grasped it when I originally talked to Adam about his first journey to America when uh, the uh, the strange picture incident, that, that, that original expedition. Um, I didn't right. realize really right. until, until I read uh, Man Beast that you have quite the communal relationship with these Bigfoot that are in the area. Uh, it sounds like it's it's really, it's really really unique. I mean, you know, there are folks out there. There's like, there's there's strange folks out there who claim that they commune with the Bigfoot. Ninety five to ninety nine percent of them are either crazy right. or lying. Um, right. Based on the information I received so far in the book and the people that are that are working with you. Uh, I'm willing to put you in the one percent of of people who may very well be in 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 some kind of habituation with the Bigfoot because it sounds like uh, you really seem to seem to have this thing seem to have some kind of connection I with, do. with this, these I creatures. I have a there. connection. It's truly amazing. They recognize my voice whenever I'm in the area. They know it's me. It's truly amazing. The point I'd, I'd make about that is because. Uh, it's a good, and it's a, it's a very good one. Um, that that a number of these, a number of of people who are who are claiming this, and this is this was always the danger when I first approached it. Is, you know, how plausible are the people who are who are claiming to have any connection with Bigfoot? Because um, I can't see how that would actually work. But what you had in this particular instance with 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 Laurie, what. What, we, what I was trying to do was bring a number of, of witnesses, not just my opinion, because my opinion's one opinion. Right. So you had, I had, I had not just friends. I had people who were like film producers. I had people I'd never met before. 
um, a dentist turned up, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and then, Absolutely. Credible, you know, credible science. You, and we'll talk about that story later because I think it's quite funny if that's all right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we had, you know, and then you have credible scientists who are prepared to do this research as well and draw their own conclusions about what might be there and have their own experiences. So it's a culmination of people. It's not just people who just want to believe that there's a Bigfoot there. And I understand that I can have my own particular bias. So I'm not objective if, if I want to find the existence of these things. You become an advocate, and there's a difference between being a researcher and being an advocate, and you have to be very careful about that. Hmm. But any research that we've, we've gathered, so, so for example with, with Sykes and any of the research that I've done historically, is analyzed objectively by credible scientists. So I can say, well, look, this is what I observed, this is what I thought. But then ultimately that research is handed over to people who, who are objective and who will do that research and who will draw their own objective conclusions, and that's what you're after. So thoughts, feelings, and experiences, and what, you know, the, the uniqueness of, of Laurie's research is, as Laurie said, it was built up from 28 years of her dad's research, then her own research, and then all these other people who've been involved very recently who, who have no connection with Laurie and, um, and have drawn their own positive conclusions about the work. Hmm. Exactly, exactly. It's not just you and Lori sitting around a campfire saying that these things are happening. It's no, there have been multiple people. No, yeah, right, 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 right. The question I have to sort of paint a picture of the situation here and what's going down, and either one of you can answer this, but perhaps Lori best. Uh, when we first talked to Adam about the original American expedition, you were very reticent to say specifics about the location. Um, and then in the in the book... Uh, you you say Marble Creek, which to me that that could that could be as that's as vague as uh, that, that could be in England for all I know because I don't really know geography of of Oregon. So it could be huge, it could be small. How much uh, do we know about this area that you guys have been looking at? Is it like a secret location, or is it some place that people could know about now that you're telling the story more? And is there a danger? Uh, we we really don't want. Uh, Bigfoot hunters going around looking for this thing if, if we're really doing such good work uh, trying to document it. So I know I packed a lot into that question, but I'll, I'll turn it over to Lori here. Tell us about the location. Uh, you know, what, what, what can you tell us about it? And, uh, you know, is there danger now that more word's getting out about it? Well, I believe that they're, they're in those mountains. I can go hiking and either direction of where my father lived in the Marble Mount area and they're there in those mountains. That's where they live. And um I believe they've been there for many, many years. In fact, um I remember when Retman Mullis drove Professor Brian Sykes with us to my location for the first time and Redman was sharing with me a story of a local who told him and a friend many years ago when he was in his 20s that all you have to do is go over there to those mountains and that's where they live. And still, that's where they live. What are these mountains, though? What 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 are where where without telling us you know the address? Which oh, in, of, in the of Marble Mountains. In the Marble Mountains. In the North Marble Cascade Mountain? Mountains. In the North okay. Cascade Mountains, in the, so the there's North a Cascade little town in, called in, in Marble Washington Mountain. State. That's where my father lives. Yes. Okay. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there or something like that, but you know, there's people who are going to be listening that aren't going to believe a lot of this stuff, and they're going to need details. So it's like the more the more information we we share with them that we can really uh, solidify, the better. 
and I'm fascinated because I yeah it, 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 it's in the cascades okay all right so Lori I guess it starts out with with uh, you know Adam comes over you guys have that really strange photograph situation um, which we've explored it in depth right. with Adam before on the show so we really need to get into it although I am right. actually let me Absolutely. just get your take on it. What do you think? What, what, do, you, what do you make of all that? Because you, you've had interaction with these creatures, but never that close. Absolutely. Know, Absolutely. So what was well, your take on it? Do you actually, think you were pushing things too far at that point? Actually, this particular location is where my father took me to go fishing from the time I was seven years old. So it's possible that the squatches in that area do remember me. It's possible that they've watched me grow up to become a young lady. So I... I believe that. And when I went there and I went camping close by to one of my locations, I believe that because I've been establishing this trusting relationship with them, I believe that one of them did come down in to just take a look to see what I looked like when I was sleeping. And and um, I was very afraid when I saw that photo on the camera, the detailed of the muscle of his back structure it it terrified me and I guess to me when I go up there and I communicate with them I can't think of it in my mind that they're this big hairy monster because it's too overwhelming for me to accept um that anyways but that um yeah yeah. <laughs> Soft pudding. No, I can imagine. I can imagine. So, yeah. So Dr. Sykes, he comes over to America first without Adam, uh, and that's where you and him meet, and he goes and checks out this, and, and uh, that's when he says, he says in the, uh, he says to Adam, as Adam mentioned it earlier, that there was, there was some thumping, it was underground, and it wasn't you. So what happened that right. led him to those conclusions? Right. Tell me that story. Well, Professor Redmond Mullen Mullis was actually giving Brian um, a ride up to this area, and he was going around meeting donors, and I had donated hair of my father's that he had found. And so I invited them both up to my father's area, one of the locations, and I thought, well, 90% of the chance, 90% they are going to have a truly amazing experience because this is where the big guy is. And the big guy is the one who is loud and he allows me to let him know that he's there when he's around. So um, we drove down into that area and uh, walked away into the forest. And Professor Brian Sykes, he had his handheld recorder and he was recording, uh, just documenting events and he heard the bumping coming from what appeared to be below this tree and looked at my feet and saw that I didn't move. The sounds were not coming from Lori, uh, clearly not coming from Redmond. And um, so drew his own conclusion that it's uh, clearly something is going on here, but until we can come up with uh, actual DNA facts, he can bump all he wants. But... You know, uh, we need to have a scientific expedition, as you call it. He wanted me to go back and continue to go back and collect as much DNA as I possibly could so we could have it analyzed and tested in labs. So that's what we did. Yeah. 
Right, right. We're faced with a challenge here. So for the folks, you know, who are listening, who think that we're, Absolutely. you know, that, that Dr. Sykes, like, like, punched a Bigfoot or something, nothing like that happened. Nothing. <laughs> it was truly a challenge. You know, we, no. Yeah. There's, it's there's, not there's, like there's, the big guy is going to come out and let you swap him. Right, oh, he's right, very right. aggressive. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah. He's very aggressive, and I think it's worth talking about that later on, actually, Tim. Well, yeah. I, 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 first, I wanted to ask you about the underground aspect of this, because um, that was, I'm sure, you know, every every idea about Bigfoot under the sun has been put forward in the past. So I'm sure this isn't the first time it's been proffered by somebody, but this is the first time that it's sort of crossed my radar, at least. And that's the idea that, that, that the Bigfoot are living underground. It seems like the the interactions that you guys have had with the Bigfoot in in the location, Lori's location, uh, indicates that they're they're underground. I guess elucidate that more. Talk a little bit more about that. How is that even possible? Because that's a that's a pretty big animal. I mean, how would how would that even how would it even exist underground? Uh, Adam, talk a little bit. We'll, we'll go to Adam here because uh, we don't want to have him okay. feeling left out in the cold. Adam, sure. <laughs> Adam, tell well, me I, I tell think, me about I the think... underground aspect of this. Well, I think the, I think the first thing to, to to say is that you can't make general assumptions about what might happen in every big with every bigfoot in every in every particular area. Mm. So, and and some of the research has to be assumptive because you, you you could study these things for the next fifty years. But so, the conclusions I draw are based on my observations in that area, which are um, which are very clear, and and what. The, the noises that we, we all felt, all the witnesses who I was with over the period were definitely coming or seemed to be coming from underground. Now, we, we searched the area extensively. We couldn't find exits. So I cannot explain to you definitively why that would be the case. But they definitely were. Um, there, there was no doubt about it. They, they seemed to be coming from underground. And so when this big – there's one particular creature, which we referred to as the big guy, and all of us did – and it was interesting, and that gave the most vigorous reaction. Um, most of the bigfoots in that area are benign, and, and most of them must be, but but not all of them are. And this particular one was extremely aggressive. And Laurie's dad, as right as my understanding, had said that this one was particularly aggressive. But the particularly aggressive one gave the most vigorous reaction. Mm. It was extremely hostile to me. Um, uh, but but also. What, what it did do was bang extremely vigorously from underground, and there was no doubt about it. We all witnessed that. Now, how it does that, how it lives, how it cohabits, I have no idea. But I can tell you that there were other areas where um, th- there were other creatures living in that vicinity who also seemed to be emanating noises from underground. Do all Bigfoots do that in every part of the U.S.? Well, almost certainly not. They'll adapt yeah. to their own environments. Do they do that here? Yes, definitely they did. Mm. And it uh, sounds flummoxing in a way, too, because you mentioned in the book, we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit here, uh, but I'm, I'm sort of honing in on the Bigfoot itself, um, that, you, that you looked around, you couldn't seem to find any entrance to sort of any any, any underground, any sort of burrow no. or hole, which is really intriguing, too. No, and I, and I, and I can't, I mean, that's, I cannot explain it, um, um, it, it, it in any way, nor could Brian, nor could Rhett, I would imagine, were they, were they here? Or Jared, or any of the other people, and, and there's been a number who have been there, and Laurie's taken many people. Um, but because you can't necessarily explain it, doesn't mean that, 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 that that's what, in all probability, it was. And from a number of independent witnesses, some of whom had a, absolutely no connection with one another, we all, I think, felt that, 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 that um, the, 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 the knocking or emanations, 
the interactions that Laurie specifically had with um, this creature were, of a, were, were subterranean. It was definitely coming from um, a specific location. Um, and um, and it, that was where it seemed to reside. It almost seems... Um, sometimes you have to swallow and say it's very very difficult to understand but that is definitely what happened now i know you adam were you ever tempted to dig yeah yeah that was that was half a joke i I was (laughs) yeah exactly were you Oh my goodness! Yeah, I'm just surprised because he has no, a temper. Let me, as you can as, he has a temper. He from yeah, wherever he, he yeah. comes out, he will come out. I, and I just always feared for Adam's life because he, at times, was very aggressive. At times, well, the guy is happy, but I, I feared that. Uh, the big guy just didn't really like Adam very much at times, and I always feared for Adam's life. That comes across pretty clearly in the book. Um, you know, yeah. we've, we've alluded to, we've talked about the big guy here a few times. I guess uh, if Lori and Adam and, and Dr. Brian Sykes are the three amigos, he's the El Guapo of the story. He's he's sort of the fourth big <laughs> character. So, who, so mm. Lori, you're, you're the one who has the long-standing relationship with the big guy. Tell us, tell us right. about this this creature because it seems like it has a personality all of its own and, and Adam sort of suggests in the book that that perhaps it exists on its own possibly uh, you know beyond a, a side uh, uh, shunned if you will possibly from sort of a larger community of Bigfoot but tell me tell me about the big guy well actually um, I have discovered that over a course of as of 2010, summer of 2010 with my brother, I've discovered that he's highly intelligent, he has an amazing memory, and I do believe that he is saddened by my father's passing. I have done a variety of studies with him each time that I have visited the big guy. And over the course of years, I have learned he's so highly intelligent and I don't know for what extent that he does understand what I'm saying but he does communicate with me and it's just remarkable how much he does understand and and he does have feelings and um, well let me jump in here and, and sort of get you to okay paint a vivid picture here for the audience. You're talking about communicating with the big guy. How, you know, describe how this goes down. Because to the average listener right now, the idea of communicating with the Bigfoot is so exotic to them that they can't really wrap their minds around how it happens. So tell us how you're communicating with the Bigfoot, with the big guy. Well, back in 2010, my brother and I, we went to one of the locations of my father and There was a lot of activity, tree knocking, um, that sort of thing. And then this massive bumping sound. And I eventually got enough courage to go through the forest and wander around and find out where this is coming from. And it led me to this tree. And so that's where the big guy is at this tree location down below. And I heard him growl from below my feet. And I have several recordings of this growl 
along with other sounds that is coming from below the tree location. And so the pounding of what is probably the inside walls from underneath the tree is probably some kind of a cove that he's inside of. And with his massive strength, you can hear from, oh, goodness, quite a ways. We were like a half of a football field away, high up on the hillside, and we could still hear him pounding while he was inside his den. That's the massive strength he has. And no man could ever make uh, the pounding sounds that the big guy can make. It's just not humanly possible. So you've precluded... I'm sure there's sort of a skeptical bent out there that would ask if it's well, absolutely, it's, absolutely. You know, maybe it's maybe it's some kind of hermit or or someone like a mountain man, like you said. Your your dad was off the grid. Right. He was a mountain man. Maybe it's someone who, you right. know, went even further off the grid and decided they were going to live in the woods, and and now they're oh yeah, they're, they're just sort of feral. Living under Is that even possible? Right, right. No, no. I think that I think that's a good no. point. I think that's a good point. But you know, one of the things I wanted to do with with the research that we did was come on a number of occasions not just and random occasions as well so um obviously um on one occasion for example we turned up um on two uh, on two occasions in the middle of the snow in february yeah <laughs> so yeah <laughs> wading into into the snow and um nobody would have known we were coming and we got that reaction <laughs> yeah slowly yeah so um nobody would have been living in um under <laughs> in that cabin in the snow uh, and, and also the behavioural patterns as well. Some of the noises that were emanated, particularly um, when it became extremely aggressive to me on one, on, on one occasion when I was with Laurie, and it, and it, and it emanated a, a huge, a huge um, a growl um, that could not have been generated by a person under any circumstances. Yeah. A okay, roar. So we got that clear. Yes. Hmm? Absolutely. It, it was a roar. Yes. So we've kind of a, and then beyond the big guy, is there also additional Bigfoot in the area? I believe so, based on what Adam said. You saw a Bigfoot. Oh yeah, area, there's several. I did. I did. It was exciting. I'll tell you. It was one of the moments that I went to go check on the bait, and I'm saying bait because instead of my regular gift that I left the big guy, it was to obtain DNA, hair, saliva, fingerprint. And it was part of the research project. And Redman had went down with me. And as we were approaching the area where the big guy is, to my right, along the riverside area, I saw what to me, appeared to be more of a young man's body frame, completely black, and I have to say covered with fur because I could only see the outline and not, you know, of a person. And he looked at me, and the way his stand was, like, he was stopped in his tracks. He was walking like a male would walk and stopped in his tracks, looked at me, I'm looking at him, and I dropped my left leg and just kind of leaned to the left, and I'm I'm looking at him, he's looking at me, and 
then he was gone. I, I think he just hid behind the large tree, the large Douglas fir tree he was next to, but it was just so quick. He was there, and he was gone. And so then I mentioned to Redman, I just saw one over there, and I'm pointing <laughs> to my right. <laughs> wow. And at the moment, it was very eerie because it was at dusk, and we're walking into the forest. And yeah, that would I already had an eerie out. feeling. Yes, yes. That would yes. freak me out. Okay, so we've, we've kind of established, I think we've established the foundation here of the story. And Dr. Sykes comes out, he, he senses, he gets he gets a feel for this for this communicative uh, session that's undergoing, that's going on between you and the big guy. And, and he seems like he's on board here. And then he comes back and he approaches Adam. And Adam, pick it up from here. You guys go back to America for this secret expedition. What I thought was interesting, and you pointed out, you were very excited about when we talked about it, he he actually got a lot of help from from the local uh, government in a lot of ways. He got some research permits. He got some uh, a leg up, if you will, from from various authorities. All all on the down low, which I thought was really interesting, but all really promising that they were so supportive of this. So I guess enlighten people into into the help that you guys got from you know the folks in in the uh, fisheries true. and wildlife department. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I I think I think. Um... One of the things that we'd, we'd established from looking into that area and doing that research is that this was this was the most active subject. So there are there, there are a number of, 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 of these Bigfoot creatures, or this is an assumption that I'm making in this area, but the one that was most active was this one that Laurie had, in, had got a reaction from, that the research had happened in that way, and that um, the, we were clearly getting... Um, results. It was taking apples and things like that. When Laurie put them down for it, it could communicate with her on a very basic level. So, but the the the, the important thing is getting um, the thing I'm always after is getting scientific evidence. Now, in order for Brian to study those things, he needed a he in order to to get samples and have them analysed, he needed a research permit. So, as, as my understanding is, that he got the first ever Bigfoot research permit to do scientific research. And I said to him, you know, what does it look like? And he, we were having a bit of a joke. And he says, well, it's not a bloody scroll, Adam. It's just an email, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not in parchment or anything. Do you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Um, um, and, um, uh, uh, and he was working with wildlife and fisheries at Oregon. Now, one of the, one of the ba- most basic and fundamental rules of forensics is, that, you know, people, forensics won't analyze something if, you're, if you are wishing to be an advocate. Yeah? So they won't, if you're trying to set your point of view up, then by that very nature you negate it because you're not objective, and the person who do, who's doing the analysis is objective. So, so Brian had to do, but, but again, there was that unique opportunity to work with, um, with wildlife and fisheries there because of who Brian was. He could use their labs. So if and when we did get samples, they would be subsequently taken there and examined um, in those labs. And if necessary, those samples would be sent back to Oxford, where um, Brian is a don at university there. So um, Laurie's um, input in that sense, and Laurie's is the emotional connection, the family connection, um, um, th- th- that feeling of, 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 of having that research there and being proud of it, um, Brian's connection is the is the objective scientific. Well, if we're going to if we're going to find anything that's substantive, it needs to be done this way. And he had spent some time with um, being taught forensics there, so the site was approached in a forensic manner. 
and there were certain protocols you had to find, had to follow. So, for example, any of the samples that were, were gathered, just without going into rattling on about forensics for, for, for too long, any of the samples would have to, the jars would have to be sterilised before and after photographs would have to be taken, gloves were taken, sound noises were taken, any video recording that we were doing were, would, would all be, have to be documented. And, um, it, you know, in some of those instances, Brian was super methodical and extremely professional, even when um, it could be quite aggressive. So I remember one time it was banging extremely loudly after there was a particular incident where, it, it, I, in my opinion, it threatened um, Laurie and I very aggressively the day before. And he's talking into, um, I remember him talking into uh, his recorder and he's, he's going, you know, and then here we are at the site, Adam and I are at the site, we're doing X, Y, and Z. And I was thinking, just bloody hurry up, let's just get these samples and bugger off because it, <laughs> <laughs> we were worried it would kick off. You know, it, it was volatile. I remember watching that video. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't want to, like, put words in, in, in Sykes' mouth here, but did he... Did he come out of this whole thing sort of like a, a believer that there, that there was this Bigfoot lurking in the mountains? Where you know, did he come out of this like, yeah, guys, you're you're onto something here. That we're we're uh, we're really oh. <laughs> there's something here. Well, that's why he wanted to conduct the Big Guy Project because as a scientist, you only have one opportunity. Sometimes you just have to take it, and he felt that this was his opportunity. And he felt that if the big guy was going to leave, if we thought for a moment the big guy was going to leave, he would come over to America and conduct the big guy project with us sooner because of of it being such an amazing opportunity to prove right. the Bigfoot does exist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, he was also very keen on getting... But, but again, it, you, you can have an opinion, but it doesn't matter. Opinions are irrelevant in the sense that you... You know, he, he, was, he, was a, he was so persuaded that he funded me to go out there. Right. And I think that that's important to state. But, but of course, he realises that, that, that you need that objective evidence, which is obviously what it was about. And he, he, obviously he felt that the thing was... Um, was 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 very was very dangerous. We had some amusing times, but we also had some times when we thought, well, actually, it's quite dangerous. I remember when the day after um, um, the incident with with Laurie and I, where it had growled very very severely, I remember him sort of we we parked up the car and we were walking down to this area. I remember him saying to me, "Well, look, this is how you work the car. If anything happens to me," and I was thinking, "Well, I'm not, I'm not leaving you here." I was saying to him, "You know, I'll drag you back, blah blah blah, just in case it does attack." And so, and he was and serious, it, right? He wasn't just he joking. He was serious. Right? It was, it oh, was absolutely. very, very but, but, but also he could, you know, he he, he he was very, very serious. That was how we felt about it. But also, he could. There was there was some very humorous moments. So yeah. It was Laurie's idea one time to put down. A, uh, a marker so she had a scarf and she wore this scarf mm. and um, yeah. deliberately dropped it and what the idea was that we'd climb up a hill and look from the hill a point of elevation where we could see this area where the, the thing was with a camera and see if it came out to get the to get the um, to get the scarf and it was wise to it and we got up and we got up to this, this on top of the hill and um and um, it starts banging away. So uh, you know, in mock, in mock joking thing, he he he, goes, he 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 says to it, he goes, "This is your last <laughs> bloody chance, you bloody thing. You, 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 you will come out now. You know I'm a bloody scientist. You know." 
It was like, this is your one chance. This is your opportunity. (laughs) Because we were trying to capture him on film. (laughs) And there was no trick in the big guy. It was like he knew we were up to no good. And (laughs) it didn't work. Our plan didn't work. Very elusive in that sense. Now, tell me about these. So, I guess, what what kind of stuff were you doing on the expedition to try and get more information i i tell me about specifically the food the food situation you guys are trying to you're giving it food in the attempts of what garnering some dna evidence through yeah, that well, what, we're, what we're trying to do is get hair samples of it so laurie laurie talk about this in more in in in, in more detail but laurie had, had left um, uh, um apples out for it for, for a while because they're actually native species and, and seeing what happened and seeing whether it um they'd be taken by it and then we tried a couple of other things, really, to see if we could get hair samples. So we set up hair traps in the area, and the idea is, is to, get the, to, to, get the, to use those hair traps to get the hair so we can analyze the DNA. Mm-hmm. So that's what the, this is all about. So it's about getting the DNA. One interesting observation, and obviously I'll let Laurie talk about that, the couple of experiments I tried, so I, I wrapped a, heart, um, a boiled egg at one stage in tissue paper to see mm. if um, it, it yes. would show manual dexterity and opposable thumbs. And it unwrapped the whole... Um, egg, at the egg hole as an entity and left the, the, the wrapper unscathed. And the last observational point I make, and then I'll, I'll obviously let Laurie talk about this because she did more of it, was, was that um, we left food samples out in a number of locations. The, the specific ones taken were taken um, in this particular vicinity where the big guy was. We left other samples only a few hundred yards away, some of which were visible from this location and they were not taken they were completely untouched even though they were only a few hundred yards away so you can make all sorts of assumptions about territory about how how they might socially behave they are i mean these are all speculations but um they are um this is this is you know it was very very interesting and there's a, i could talk about that just for an hour but i'll let laurie talk about talk about the samples as well well um, basically, because I was the one with the established relationship with the big guy and the family around, is it was my job to set up the bait. And so I did the gifting, as I always would. I would always go in, say hello, do my greeting, and I would leave the bait. And this, for me, was rather difficult to go from habituation and establishing this trusting relationship, carrying on my father's research to turning and doing things in more of a scientific way. And I felt like I was tricking the book guy because really that's what I was doing. It wasn't just a gift. I was leaving him something so he would leave me a fingerprint so he would catch his hair on it. And I was tricking him. And so that was difficult for me. But I did it anyways, and it's it's truly amazing what we have in the labs today. Um, I know that they like chocolate, and so a uh, wrapper of a Hershey's chocolate bar, just the wrapper alone, you can get a fingerprint from, even though it rained, or a glass, even though it rained, you could throw a glass jar into the ocean and you can still obtain the fingerprint of who threw that glass jar into the ocean. It's just absolutely amazing. Um, yeah. And so, well, uh, 
those were the kind of things that we were doing. And so at one okay. point I had left, you know, Hershey's chocolate, his favorite, and so forth, trying to obtain DNA. Now, I, I, I guess, uh, well, the obvious question is what kind of, what kind of stuff did you manage to get through these series of experiments? So we talked. Do we get any hair samples? Do we get any fingerprint uh, stuff? What, what kind of? Uh, do we get any any uh, evidence to come out of the expedition? Well, I, think, I think the short answer to that is, no, is nothing tangible. No, which is disappointing. Hmm. Um, I, 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 but you know, in a way that that shows that. Uh, a lot of our, a lot of the conclu- conclusions have to be assumptive. I mean, there are some amazing firsts. The first ever Bigfoot research per- permit. The fact that a world leading geneticist was prepared to do this research um, and 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 to be sufficiently interested in it on that level. But in terms of quantifiable data that can be independently scientifically corroborated, well, the answer to that is a short no. We didn't succeed in, in doing that, um, and. That's a damn shame, <laughs> but, but that's the reality of the situation. Sure was. You have to be prepared to, mm-hmm. to say that. So there's no point flowering that up. You either did or you didn't, and the answer is didn't. Yeah, mm-hmm. I respect your honesty. You could, you know, it's a, it's, it, it, it's, it's still, it's still a, a landmark uh, expedition. Now, why didn't you? You said that sometimes he takes the food. Have you considered? Um, setting up some game cameras on the food or or does he just not take the food when they're being when, when the potential to be filmed uh comes up Adam you should answer that one Yeah well I've already I've already I mean that was one of the first things I did when oh, I first you did. got there Oh okay Yeah, yeah and it didn't work Exactly It didn't work It didn't work you won't take the food put, Yeah No and I even put um I even put um a glass jar down or d- down very close to it um uh, with a with a hidden trail cam, um, with these green apples in which are indigenous indigenous to that part of Washington, to see if um, it would come and take that, and it wouldn't go anywhere near the trail camera, wouldn't have it at all, it wouldn't form because that was Brian's first thought. He said to me, "Well, it should be fairly easy to, <clears throat> you know, before we went there, he said, well, it should be fairly easy. All we need to do really is stick up a trail camera and stick some bait down." Right, exactly. And, yeah. and I was like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> I've thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it been done. Easy, you know, yeah. It doesn't happen. It was done a while ago, that. Yeah. It doesn't work. See, because that goes to my intrinsic point, and my intrinsic point, and my, my, my ultimate thing is, and always has been, the thing that I'm most fascinated about this, as opposed to, you know, I've looked for the Yeren in China, I've looked for the Amas in Mo- Mongolia, I've looked for these things in Russia. I've been all over the place looking for these things, and I... They never, they never troubled me in the se- in a, in the sense that I did think that there was evidence for for these creatures in other parts of the world, but but um, I could fairly plausibly think, well, what, what might be the orang pendek? It might be a symbol of something. It might be, you know, a, a pygmy orangutan. There was something that, you know, this led to what bipedally. In other words, there was something I could explain about that, which made that scientifically plausible and also. Um, very interesting, but there was no, never a level of sophistication. But with with the thing about this Bigfoot and the thing about this, the thing that intrigued me most, and the thing that this is the mystery that I want solved, was, was its level of intellect. And so as Laurie's touched on the intellect there, and it seems to me, of all the creatures that may or may not exist of, of, of these man-beasts, 
the Bigfoot is undoubtedly the most intelligent and or sophisticated because it, 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 it displays a level of, of behavior and cognitive abilities that seem far superior to anything else I've ever looked for. So that fascinates me. Right, right. It seems definitely just from reading the book that it's like you're, you're dealing in a whole different, no pun intended for the interdimensional folks, but you're dealing with like a whole different dimension of creature here with this Bigfoot. It seems the other the other animals you're searching for seem more more like animals. This thing seems more like I don't know, like a missing link, like something between an animal and a human. But by the way that it, it seems to seems to be a lot more interactive uh, with with it's far more interactive with you guys than than say when you're going looking for the orang pendek. Yeah, absolutely, and and, and the, the, the displays of emotion um, are what interests me. There's a certain sort of family familial relationships. I mean, and also the thing that um, so some of the experiments like my are repeatable. Changed. So yeah, yeah it, well, it, it, uh, exactly. The, the big he remembers his voice. It's truly amazing. Yeah. 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 You can tell he feels happiness. Yeah, explain explain to the audience uh, what, what we're talking about with, with your father's tapes. Okay, um, so we tried an exercise. We were trying to get the big guy to wake up and respond to us. And so I thought, Adam's like, hey, Lori, play your father's tape. That always gets a reaction out of him. So I thought, okay, you want me to play my dad's tapes? And play his audio, and he bumped once. Once is yes that I've known, is uh, once is yes, hello, goodbye, okay, I understand. And so I play it, and my father's talking, and then he starts to, he did like this low guttural growl and um, in response to what my father was talking about. And it's just truly amazing. It's like he understood what my father was saying. And he shows true emotion of of when he hears my father's voice. I, at one point in time, I went up there with, kind of going off track a little bit, but I went up there with a friend of mine, and I played my father's audio tape for the very first time, and I heard a roar, and we hurried back to the car, and we were afraid, and I thought, no, I came up here to play my father's tape for the first time in the forest. I just want to know if he remembers my dad, if if he if I'm going to get some kind of a reaction. How intelligent is he, you know? And yeah. so I played my father's audio tape, and it was like complete silence. And it, and where he was bumping and throwing a fit and had growled, and I played my father's audio tape, and it was peaceful. And he was listening to my father's voice for the very first time in six months, and that has got to stand for something. So yeah. it's just, it's truly amazing that and, they and are when you're, so when, intelligent. When you're communicating with it, are you like right at the tree that it's under, or are you kind of, you know, how close are you to the, to where you think it may be, you know, relative to the ground and everything? I go to the trees. Yeah. yeah, there's the moments like right now I'm still working on my fear. And before I was carefree, carefree spirit wandering around in the forest and would talk to the big guy and leave him apples and he'd bump on the ground. And and uh, 
I'm working on my fear because of the big guy project and the roar, the fear of death in me. That moment, yeah, you, you, that we've alluded to this a moment. Few times. Now I have to work on my fear again. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we've 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 alluded to it a few times, I guess, Adam. Uh, Exactly. You're, you're our resident yeah. extreme expedition storyteller. So t- tell the story in 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 total here about this this roar that seemed to it seems based on what Lori's telling me, it almost was kind of like a sea change in a lot of ways for the, for this whole project for this whole experience. It sounded like like what whatever happened in that moment uh, made you all kind of rethink what exactly you're doing here. So tell that story. Well, exactly. the, the, exactly. the thing about the, the thing about the, the the big guy is that it 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 sort of it has a hair trigger temper, and it did not like the fact that, or it seemed to. This is a, uh, not like the fact that Laurie and I were in a relationship, um, and it became more aggressive towards me in particular um, because of that. So there was a there was a there was a time when Laurie brings up people um, individuals. Um, to that specific location and sort of introduces them and, and gets this interaction. And, and um, I remember in February was the first time it brought my friend Jared, who's a producer for Nat Geo, and his, and, um, his friend Ray, who's a dentist. And, and Laurie would bring him up and say, oh, this is Ray, this is Jared. And then he said, oh, and Adam's here. And the moment he said Adam's here, he went, roar! <laughs> Which was just <laughs> bizarre, and I, I remember it. And that was when Ray... And it's in the book. Ray says, you know, just so you know, got big guy. Adam's the one in camouflage. He's definitely the one in camouflage. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. About it. Now, on this, specific, on this specific occasion, so so before Brian had come, he'd obviously funded me to go out, and I was concerned that it would still be there. This thing, because you know, the guys paid for me to come out, and I was thinking, oh shit, you know, is it still going to be there? There's no guarantee. It's a bloody wild animal. You could have buggered off, and that would have been it. You know. Um, and so, but also he, he wanted us to set up the hair traps and all that lot before he arrived. So we went down and we'd set some up. And then the idea was that we'd go down past it the next day and we'd, we'd, we bought some fishing rods. So we'd go down to uh, the river and pretend to fish to see if it had come out. And I'd try and make a snapshot of it, see if we could draw it out. But um, the moment we got to the area where it was, it roared that loudly it was like you know you know when i've been in the jungle and stuff like that before and you, there are there are other wild animals and you can hear them in the distance i've not been that close to them but i heard tigers roar before but i imagined it was like a tiger was roaring right you know six feet from me hmm. and and it and it so upset laurie um that she wasn't able to go back on that occasion and we had to uh, sit by we had to drive out of that area and she was shaken up i remember shaking and she wouldn't go back the next day uh, and it was really extremely unpleasant. And, and from my own point of view, I remember that night Laurie wasn't going back. I was going with Brian. I remember we're in this little town in the middle of nowhere, and there's no one around. Um, it was quiet. I remember having a glass of wine and just being outside um, the, the, this, having having this glass of wine, thinking, you know what, shit, I'm not sure whether you know tomorrow it might actually come out and rip me to pieces. Yeah. And that was a genuine thought I had. It was a genuine thought I had and I remember when I when I was walking down towards it we said goodbye to Laurie and Brian and I went down and I remember thinking you know what I'm not sure whether I'm going to come back today and that was when we had that conversation I alluded to earlier Mm. about I mean you know whether it was actually going to really go for us I want to emphasize that I don't I don't think most of them are like that but but 
I think in any species, um, there are there are ones that are more aggressive than others. That you can see that with your own family cats and dogs, yeah, or yeah. with apes in other areas. With people, there are shit houses and there are nice people, you know. Exactly. Um, and uh, but but th- this is an interesting subject to study because it gives such acute reactions. And so, uh, as a study subject, it was perfect. The other ones in the in the vicinity were much more timid and wouldn't even take um, samples. This one hmm. um, was much bolder and was prepared to do so. But it, it had that extremist of reaction, which is interesting from, from an observational point of view, from an anthropological point of view. So um, it, it wanted to um, interact with Laurie on a, on a you know, it, it had that emotional reaction with Laurie. It had that relationship yes. with her. Well, well, it's interesting. The converse of that is it, it hated me because mm-hmm. because of, of of the relationship I had with her. So it, you were able to see both spectrums of its emotional behaviour mm. with the two people there at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and that's not like you said. It's not particularly unsurprising from an animal if it builds a, a strong bond with with a person, you know. So it actually it sounds perfectly reasonable if you really think about it. Now it's interesting the 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 level of. Uh, the level, the depth of this relationship that Laurie's developed with uh, with the big guy, because it speaks to what I've talked about a couple times with Lauren Coleman on the show. He suggests sort of like a Diane Fossey, uh, you know, model for for studying the Bigfoot, where we need a, a woman to sort of go into the into the into the environment and and develop a, a a relationship with the creature, which is exactly what seems to have taken that's, place here. So that's, that's what great, I've done. Uh, exactly. To think about yeah. It. yeah. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. I, I heard that. They uh, really that like my voice. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They <laughs> like the way that I talk to them. And I'll talk to I'll talk to the big guy like he's this cute little puppy dog or something. He loves it. It's so amazing. But um, I I just have to make a comment when um, about Adam what he was just talking about. It's it's true. That day that. Adam and Brian were going back to collect all the samples, everything, and it was our last day. I was sitting in the hotel room, and I was waiting for them, and if they took too long, I was supposed to call the ranger to go get help, not knowing if they were going to come back alive, and I was so terrified, and um, I went from establishing this relationship with the big guy, my father's discovery, to trying to prove the big guy exists and pissing him off. That's what I did. I made him very angry. And so then I did actually go back up there with Dr. Matthew Johnson and I made peace with the big guy after he roared and I thought I was going to be dead. And so um, now it continues on. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure whether you could ever make peace with it. <laughs> that's, that's, I don't that's, know. That's, 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 yeah, I don't know. I think they have a very volatile temperament. And I think, I think the idea of, of, of uh, you know, w- w- most of them, were, most of them were, were, were benign. But I think that Lauren's point, if I just backtrack slightly about women researchers and the pheromones, I, I heard what Lauren had, had, had to say, and I agreed with him, and I was thinking, well, you know, I'll be able to talk about this, because what he predicted in that sense was absolutely what happened. Um, he didn't know about this, obviously, at the time, so he was talking without, that, without the knowledge of that, which, right. which makes his observation more pertinent, I think. Exactly. Um, because he didn't know. 
And yet what he said was absolutely right. In this instance, um, that was exactly what happened. A woman there who was non-threatening, there wasn't an alpha male behavior that with particular pheromones, was able to build a relationship with this thing, which, which solicited reactions, which you would not have got if you were a man. The reactions I got were, were at the other end of the spectrum, the very aggressive ones, because I was the alpha male to it, the threat to it. And so the, 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 it, what, it, what it displayed to me was, um, by and large, an unending aggression and resentment. But from an observational point of view, that was extremely interesting. So you could see the, um, it wanted to bump for Laurie. So Laurie would say, you know, you, as you said, she talks in this that cute puppy dog thing. Mm-hmm. Bang, bang, bang. You know, you're a puppy dog and all that. And it, and it would bang, bang, bang back three or four times. So it, would just, it would directly repeat the amount of knocks that Laurie made and yeah. knew that. And that was very easy to observe. Um, but... You know, if I was there and, I, and, and, and she saw and it saw me getting close to her, it would it, it would bloody growl. <laughs> so, <Right>. so, so <laughs> that, was, that was that was that was very very true. And I don't I think with this particular one, I really don't think um, you could ever um, get a response. It, it has a very hair trigger temper. I don't think you could ever be in a situation where it wouldn't be potentially aggressive as i say 99 percent of them i'm sure are not but this one is particularly um dangerous i think he's almost dare i say domesticated in a way or at least he's got a relationship with a human that many many bigfoot probably don't have that's obviously yeah. incredible speculation mm-hmm. on my part but, but you know give it give me that at least <laughs> but it seems mm-hmm. it stands to reason that most bigfoot aren't don't have human friends so the fact that he seems to for lack of a better term be friends with you changes the whole exactly. dynamic of it. But it opens the door so for amazing. what you guys are doing with Dr. Sykes in a huge way. This is like the the breakthrough that we, we may have been waiting for for years. Well, exactly. Because it was bold, because it was bold, and it was able to do that, because um, that Laurie's relationship had been, had been built up, it was it was prepared to take risks. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was able to solicit those reactions. So we were able to concentrate in that specific locale with the objective and, and it, this always has to be the objective of getting independent data which you can corroborate so that has to be what it's about uh, in, in, always in these particular instances now we established that the big guy didn't like you adam did he what did he think of of dr sykes was he <laughs> was, was he nonplussed by his no, credentials he seemed happy <laughs> actually he that seemed happy so when brian was there didn't you think adam well, I don't think he was threatened by Brian, but, but then it, no. I, he, he wasn't. No. He, he wasn't in the same relationship, um, uh, you know, as, as I was. As so, us, exactly, um, exactly. It wasn't the same sort of relationship, which is interesting. So, I, I, it would it would bump away, um, and when we were gathering samples, um, it, w- it would it would it would display, um, you know, that sort of behaviour. But it wasn't, you know, it, it didn't seem to have the same um, level of aggression to anybody else, as mm. far as I can remember, as it did towards okay. me. <laughs> yeah. I remember did... Brian, as a professor, looking around, looking around the tree, looking for hairs, as a scientist would. And the big mm. guy bumped away, and it, it just sounded like he was happy. Brian was there. And I'm thinking... Hurry up before he gets upset. <laughs> and... Um, it was fine. Yeah. Yeah, he was fine with them. An interesting question, because, you know, a lot of the people are titillated by the fact that Dr. Sykes was on this trip. What was he doing 
you know, you're putting out the samples, you're, you're, you know, you're waiting and hoping that something's going to turn up. What kind of stuff were you doing on this expedition? Because, you know, I, I've, I've heard about all your expeditions before, Adam, where you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're going through the jungle, you're looking for prints, you're looking for hair. Is that kind of what you were doing with Dr. Sykes during this time uh, well, in the location? Basically, we're setting down, he was obviously um, working with wildlife and fisheries, so he, was getting, he got those scientific permits. We were setting up hair traps primarily and putting down food baits, if you like, to get those hair traps. And they would be often in jars. So the idea was that it would have to um, reach in to get, to get foodstuffs, and we were hoping to get hairs and or fingerprints on the jars, which could subsequently be analyzed. So that was basically what we were doing. And observing that, that, that forensic protocol, which I talked about earlier on, which is you take a photograph before, you take a photograph after. He's, he's commenting in a dictaphone about what we observed on the day, and Laurie had been doing that for a number of, a number of uh, years before that. So everything has to be documented before and after. Everything's taken away. Everything's, everything's not touched and everything's analyzed subsequently um, in a lab. And mm. so that was, that was the basic protocol. And at night, um, what we'd do is we, we hide our, a little place. And at night, we'd bring the samples back and we'd have a look in the microscope and have a little bit of chat about what we'd done that day and sort of plan the next day around the events and, mm. and, and talk about, best times to go so it, it it certainly seemed that the um thing was 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 and again this is assumptive and this is assumptive on my part um it was much more difficult to solicit any sort of reaction in the morning initially um it, it was it was less responsive so but but by late afternoon that was the most responsive time it was more like you were more likely to get more vigorous reactions as the day wore on so it was it was it was learning. It was compiling data, and as I say, from an anthropological point of view, you could study it for around 30 years and still make assumptions. But these are just very very thumbnail sketches, Tim. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. Now we uh, this all went down in May of uh, 2013, mm-hmm. and yeah. considering that, that 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 was all kept under wraps, uh, perhaps you can't say much else. But I mean, we're talking about a year and a half. What's gone on? Since then, have you, Laura? You said you made peace with the big guy. You returned there, but um, you know, have there been any other sort of formal expeditions to the area to look into this, or is it kind of all in a holding pattern right now until God knows what, what something else develops? Well, I really don't know where I go from here. So. I think you know. I think the point. The point that the the. I would make about these sort of things is that um, now we are getting um, scientists to engage in these sort of programs, mm. and what what would what these sort of things merit is not um, to, to Lauren's point. Lauren made a point um, again about documentaries, right? And how they, how they might work on, on when he was on your show. Is it September? He was on your show, Tim. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and. Um, Often they can be just a few days here and then you go. So, um, for example, he talked about when I went to Mongolia. In fact, I went there for, for, for three weeks. The camera crew, and I paid for myself. I saved up for two years to go. But the camera crew were only there for a few days and then they left. The sort of really meritorious research uh, in these sort of things would be if you spent a considered amount of time in a particular area like this, um, observed scientific protocols and did some concentrated research. And if you're asking what um, I would like to see 
in relation to this area, in relation to some, some other areas that may have scientific merit, is that sort of, of, of concentrated research. And, but it's all a question of funding. You know, Brian paid for that himself, um, and he's, mm-hmm. he's on limited funds. I pay for a lot of my research myself, you know, uh, uh, you know I, and I can often say up for years to go on one trip. Right. Um, what, what this needs is, 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 is concentrated um, academic research where you can spend a considerable amount of time and concentrate on doing that. So you can get, hopefully, that objective, independent, scientific evidence that can be independently corroborated and repeated. That's what you're after. Because what you're increasingly seeing is, 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 is people who are credible scientists who are at least prepared to accept the notion that, that um, these creatures may exist. And if they're prepared to accept the notion, they're prepared to indulge in this research. But you can't just do it on, you know, I came here and I filmed for a few days and then I, and then I buggered off. Right. Um, it, it needs to be um, concentrated. And if you do that, you could well get results. Hmm. You know, I am of the view that if you were to do this in this particular area, um, you, you would get those results. Um, and there are a number of people who've witnessed this, this behavior and the behavioral patterns rather than substantive data. Then you'd get that. And, it, and, and I don't think it would be um, hugely hard to extract. You would just, all you need is some decent hair samples. That's what you need. And um, if you can evidence that, then that would be phenomenal. And that, I think, would be the tipping point. You know, we've often talked about whether you need a body, and I'm not an advocate of killing these things. I don't think that that's the right approach in any way. But um, I do know that they exist. And I do know that, that um, because they um, have physical properties, their flesh, um, they, and they consume things, they, they, and they have hair, then their ergo, you must be able to get that hair and you must be able to analyze it. And that's what all of us were of the view of doing, and that's what our objectives are. Hmm. So a lot of the emotional stuff um, is, is fascinating observational and social behavior. But you need a concentrated sophisticated project with, with, with credible scientists, and that's what you need to bring to the table. And by doing this research, I hope that it becomes an important stepping stone that, so that that can happen, because there is this marvelous potential, um, which isn't a fanciful notion, which is a credible um, uh, research, which can take you on that next step. And that's, that's really, really what needs to happen here. Right, right. Well, that's the, I guess... I don't want to say confusing part, but that's the sort of part that leaves me hanging here as I finish the book and, you know, hear the story. It's like if I was Dr. Sykes, I'd be there, you know, I, I, would, have, I would have gone exactly. back by now. So I'm a little yeah. confused, I guess, why he has mm-hmm. – of course, he's a very busy man. He's, he's, kind of a, he's kind of like an academic celebrity at this point, so he can't really uh, up and, and do these sort of things on a whim all the time. But still, I mean, it seems like this, this thing is, is, is ripe for – for for more, and I'm surprised that more hasn't happened since then, unless, you know, more has happened and we haven't been told about it yet, in which case I totally would understand. But, but I mean, I think you see where well, I'm coming from, right? It, it comes down to money. So, for example, you know, if I collect samples, um, so, I, you know, I, I went to a number of different places this year, and I, and I collect samples, and, I, you know, and I had to, you know, some of the experiences I'd learned, for example, in the Cascades with the grunting, I was able to emulate this year. And, you know, and there's a very, very well-known one, which I did at the Olympic Project, where I was able to grunt and get grunts back 
um, uh, at Derek Randall's place, and a number of people observed those, some of which um, you know, I'd never met or heard of before. But what I was doing was emulating directly the grunts I'd heard in the Cascades. Hmm. And when I had an interaction, when Laurie and I had been there, and one, one, several of them had interacted with us, and I'd heard those grunts, and I was able to emulate them. So what you're doing is you're building up a pattern, a pattern of behavior. But, you know, when I was gathering those samples, and Todd Dissetel did, did the analysis of the samples this year, was, you know, Brian's put, well, who's going to fund this? You know, if, if, if we get samples and if we get them analyzed, then that's, you know, over $1,000 per DNA sample for them to be properly run through. You know, and somebody's got to pay for that. Um, and so you need, that's why, I, you know, I come back to that point, you need that funding. Yeah. Um, he, he's an individual. Um, you'd need a research grant for that to happen. You'd need, you'd need that money. If I was a wealthy man, I would fund that. <laughs> I'd be funding that research. But, you know, Absolutely. I'm not a wealthy man. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, that's mm-hmm. why I drive an old banger and, and, uh, and, and spend mm-hmm. my spare cash on going on expeditions. And there's only so far, there's only so far, um, with respect to me and Laurie and everybody else, amateur researchers like ourselves mm. who, have, who uh, can take these things. That's where um, credible scientists need to come in and take over and do these studies. Well, so, you know, and, and take it that forward. Yeah. yeah. And in doing this research, I had truly hoped that we would have obtained the DNA that we needed. And this area, my father's, his his area was going to be protected within a 40-mile radius and properly studied. And that's, that's really what I wanted to have happen. I wanted them to have a protected area of their own. I... I wanted that, so. Well, it's still possible. Hopefully someday it will happen, yeah. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the Internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? Now, given the nature of of this whole story and how, you know, Dr. Sykes is a world-renowned scientist and he, he, you know, he funded this trip, and, and witnessed the communication of the Bigfoot. Do you? I, I expect this story to sort of get some legs to it. I mean, obviously, like you said, Adam, this is this is the first time anyone's ever heard the story. Uh, is is over the last like ninety minutes here as we've talked about it. And thank you again, my friend, for being uh, you know letting us be the first people to have this story and share it with the world. Um, but I should hope that people would care about this story. This should be a big story, especially over in England where. They love this kind of stuff, the tabloids and everything else. I'm surprised. Uh, do you think mm-hmm. this is going to get bigger? Do you think that this whole this whole story is going to be bigger? Because it should be bigger. I mean, I think anyone in the Bigfoot community who hears this story should be completely blown away by what's going on out there. Well, you know, you know the, the, the bottom line is, is I'm not too I'm not too concerned about whether the story is a big story. What I, you know, that that's all well and good, and you know, if it's in tabloids, then that's fine. What I, what I care about is whether we can get scientific evidence. Why, why do I care about that? Because I'm interested in the intellect of these things and what we can learn about it all. So um, I want to understand them. So um, it may be. Um, I mean, there are some very interesting facts about this, um, not least the corroboration, uh, scientific, the, the degree of scientific corroboration, which may well surprise people in the Bigfoot community. And they may well argue the toss about it. But I... I really don't care about that. What I care about is, is if we can get um, future 
research projects which are which are credible and coherent. That's what I care about. And if this story, um, and because of its publicity or, or not, generates um, scientific pro- projects, I would love to be involved in them. If I'm not involved in them, well, as long as they happen, that's a good thing. But um, they, sh- you know, th- this this is this is not um, this is not fringe stuff. This is real observational data and were it not Bigfoot were it some other animal we wouldn't you know it wouldn't even be an eye eye blink because of because it's Bigfoot and because it it, it goes back to that fact that extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof Mm. so you have to have an extremely high level of proof for this to be um, accepted but you're only going to get that high level of proof you're only going to get there if you concentrate and do that research and do get, get that corroborative data. And what you're not going to do uh, and get, get it is by arguing the toss about, about, about stupid things. Right. So you need a coherent approach where people work together to achieve that and put aside um, petty differences and egos. Hmm. I guess the, the surreptitious sort of hope in, in that question about the story being a bigger story and be, getting a lot of publicity is one would think that the, just the sheer amazing nature of this should be enough for someone like Rupert Murdoch or uh, Richard Branson or something to pony up the cash to send Dr. Sykes back there for like six months or something. You know what I mean? It's like this, this, this mm, should, ha- this that would should be, amazing. be the spark that lights it's the just, fire, I, I hope. Yeah. yeah. Well, that would, be, People, that would be wonderful. Like I can go in there for a few days, right, Adam? And, and just yeah, yeah. get amazing reaction. Yeah. Truly amazing. Hmm. If you had, you know, I, I would put my, I, I, you know, I would say that if you were there, for, it's difficult to quantify. But if you were there for only a few months, I think you would get the sort of um, data that would be um, would be persuasive. Right, right. Um, That's I don't what I think, mean. You know, I don't. And if you were there with 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 a concentrated team, you could get that. Hmm. I think. You know. We, you know. The the, the whole. That's what you need. You need. You need that there, and you need you need that sort of consistent approach. And you could do it, uh, and, and, and it wouldn't need a massive uh, amount of people to achieve that. It would need a small, concentrated team, not big crowds, not everybody wandering around. Right. Um, and, and, and you, you could, you could no. achieve that. Exactly. So yes, yes, it's possible. Yeah. But it needs some financial will for that to happen, and the fact that, that you have seen scientists. You know, when I first started out. Um, God knows how long now. It must be knocking on nearly 20 years. Uh-oh, you're going to sound um, like an old man now, Adam. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not an old man yet. I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> That's debatable. But, you know, it, when I, there were very few scientists who would do that. And I remember, you know, speaking to Hans Brunner over in, um, over in Australia when I was there, and him talking about how, you know, when we were first doing the analysis of the orang pandak hairs and him saying, well, he got a lot of resistance from his academic community, the people he was with, because they were saying, well, why do you, why do, you do this? You know, he's going to damage your credibility. And he said, well, I want to know. I want to take risks. And, and you know, science is often, you know, the great discoveries are often, are often made, the great discoveries are often made, if you look through the history of science, in spite of uh, the consensual scientific opinion, not because of it. Yeah, so it's people who are prepared to take risks all the way back, you know, you know, with, with, 
for example, arguing whether the whether the whether the sun is the centre of the centre of the universe or not. The people who first people who, who were going to be prepared to to argue the toss there and the theory of evolution. You've seen all those things. Hmm. We're, we're we're branded as, as as dangerous heretics and or lunatics. But then that but people were prepared to take risks to do that. And those are the people who become the scientific pioneers. It's very easy to be to to to, to be consensual uh, and and trundle out a a um, a safe academic career on that basis. Yeah. But you won't make any great discoveries unless you're prepared to take risks. And often we're seeing people who are taking risks, who are very, very established, so people like Jeff Meldrum, um, or towards the end of their careers, or just will we'll just take a punt. You know, Todd Distel would say, well, you know, I'm, I'm very skeptical about the existence of Bigfoot, but, you know, if you bring me a hair and I find one, Adam, I'll say so. Uh, and, and the same with Brian Sykes. He would... Uh, he would and when we first spoke about it in Oxford and we had dinner together, he would, I think, have said, well, I'm extremely sceptical about the whole thing. But you know what? Mm -hmm. I've heard enough for, to, to give it a go. Right. And then obviously he went with, with, with Laurie and, and his position ultimately changed. But that's how you do it. You, you go out there in the field, you take a few risks, you challenge your own assumptions, and there's a cognitive dissonance point. So I remember the first time I heard these things, I was like, shit, is this really real? Am I really here? Doing this is this really true? Yeah, and, it, and, 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 and because it changes your understanding of, 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 of how things might behave, and it's very difficult to, to compute that. But you're not going to get anywhere unless you do that challenge. You're not going to get anywhere or achieve anything unless that happens. So you need to be able to take risks, hmm. and, and you know that's how you will make this progress. But you have, you are starting to have more scientists there, and, you, and there are wonderful opportunities now. To do this research, all it takes is a bit of money, a bit of guts, um, and um, some determination. Now, it, I, I guess we'll try and stay ahead of the skeptics in a way. We'll try and stay ahead of the, uh, as, as my friend Stan Friedman calls them, the nasty, noisy negativists. So, you know, obviously this story is coming out to the world today, right now, here, first time over on Banal of America Audio. And I'm sure there are people out there that are like, well, Adam and Lori are saying this, but... What's Dr. Sykes got to say? Has he, he clearly hasn't, you know, as far as we know, said anything about the expedition yet. Is, is it going to be detailed in the book? What, what do you think he's going to say? What do you think, you know, his, his role in all this is going to be? Because back when we first talked, Adam, and you, and you gave me the gist of this, it was like, well, we can't, we can't go on the air with this story till the Sykes book comes out because, you know, he's the one that put this all together. So, But then he, gave, he signed off on this and let you. You know, he I just did. don't want, I just he don't gave want us permission to, to talk way, about it. He gave me permission um, to add any photos of him during the Bigfoot project in my book, and so I did. He gave me permission to talk about it. So here we are. I guess the question is: Is he going to talk about it? Is he going to, you know, because otherwise oh, there's yeah, always people well, that I, could. I would, I, I'm sure he will. I mean, his book comes out, as I understand it, I think I, the last time I checked, it comes out in April. So I'm sure he'll talk about it because he funded this. And it was an important part of his research. And obviously we've got all the email communications, as Laurie said, and all that. You know, the, the, what basically happened is Laurie and I were due to release our own individual books. Um, and what had happened was his original book was due out for publication in September. So the way this came about was I said, well, I understand, Brian, that your book's due to come out in September. But it, it says on, on your publisher's site it says September, but it, on somewhere else it says January. Um, you know, do we have permission to talk about this? 
And he said, well, let me go away and think about it. And then he sent an email back saying, on reflection, you have my permission to talk about it. So he gave us, he gave us his permission. I don't know whether um, he will say exactly the same thing as, 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 as I have said. These, this is my personal account and my observations of, 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 of what I felt, thought, and said at the time. Laurie will obviously um, is producing her own book very shortly and will recount her um, accounts, which go into different de- levels of detail about what happened. Mm. Uh, and, 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 but you can see there's a high degree of corroboration between us. And obviously there's the written evidence emails, which I haven't published in my book. It's not appropriate to. But, but they're all of, all of Brian's thoughts and feelings at the time. So I can't imagine that he would contradict what we're saying. I don't know whether he'll, uh, he'll um, agree wholeheartedly or he'll have different viewpoints. But there are certain particular facts he did observe hmm. a creature which was persuasive enough to him um, to fund my own expedition to organize forensics with washington uh, with, uh, with with forestry and fisheries to get a, a, a bigfoot permit scientific permit as i understand the first of its kind so he was persuaded enough to do all of those things off his own back and off his own funding in order to facilitate this research and that i would say is usually significant and or persuasive about his viewpoint Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But you know the 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 unfortunate part just is like as I'm sure you know Adam because as we've established here you're an old man you've been in this for 20 years so I never said I was an old man. Oh oh wait a minute I'm sorry. <laughs> but as anyone who's been in the paranormal for as long as you and I and and the folks listening have been. It's like we always get so tantalizingly close, and then we get burned. And there's a part of me that's like, oh, geez, I don't want Dr. Sykes to come out in January and be like, well, it was, it was interesting, but we went there and we didn't find anything, so there's nothing to it. You know what I mean? I'm, there's a part of me that that is 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 afraid that that this, mm-hmm. this is going to fall think apart. That's a good point. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. And, and you know, and I don't, I, I you know, I'm not, um, I'm not. Um, the boss of him he's right. not the boss of me i can't control what he will or won't say nor would i want to and, and the same with laurie um we, we all have our individual viewpoints but i go back to those three very specific points which i've just made to you which mm-hmm. i would suggest are persuasive he'll have his own account definitely and he'll have uh, 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 of his own data but you know he we, we got on very well the three of us it was a very pleasant experience he's a nice guy mm. uh, and, I, and i like him and respect him um, and, you know, there was never um, an NDA between us. So he never said to us, sign this document and shut your faces. We had an amazing time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Laura, yeah. you said you went up and, and, and made peace with the big guy. How many times have you been there since, since, the, since the roar that changed, that changed it all? <laughs> Well, I've only been up there one other time, and that was with Dr. Matthew Johnson of Sasquatch in USA. Yeah. And, well, Matthew Johnson, what? I'm just wondering why you you guys seem so tantalizingly close. It seems I understand, understand, but I can't really put myself in your shoes at how terrifying this was, so I can can empathize with the fact that you may never want to go back there again. But then there's the part of me, well, and the part, I'm sure a part of the audience, that's like, what are you doing? Go back. Go back like tomorrow. Why didn't I go back sooner? Exactly. Well, I was in England for a while. 
I was in England with Adam for a while, and unfortunately, I couldn't cope with living in England, so I had to move back home to be with my family, and I'm an American woman. I America's my home, so I moved back, and I had to um, just adjust to being at home, and I never felt truly safe going back to visit the big guy unless Adam was with me. And um, before the big guy project and the roar when I thought I was going to be killed, I never truly felt comfortable going and visiting the big guy without Adam. And Adam was always my rock. And so when I was here in America without Adam, and it I finally, I knew I had to go back and visit the big guy. And this is just so truly amazing. My father's discovery of the big guy. And I need to continue on with the journey. And I was too afraid without Adam. So I asked Matthew Johnson and he agreed. And he went back up there with me and he showed me that there's nothing to be afraid. And the big guy was really happy to see me again. And it was truly an amazing experience. And in fact, that's on Team Squatch in the USA. And there is a full audio of the last time I was up there to visit the big guy. So it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I know Adam's all the way in England, but let me know, Lori, if you ever want someone yeah. to go up there. I'll drop everything and I will be there. <laughs> Within 48 hours, I will be, I'll be what are you at doing that tree, tomorrow? okay? I'll be, I'll be knocking on the tree. Don't you worry about that. You let me know when we can do it. Okay, when when's your flight come in to Seattle? I'll break you we'll up. Talk, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk after the show because I will. I will do it. I will definitely do it. I, I, we've talked out about. I'm in mean, okay. no shape to climb the mountains of Sumatra, but I, I will. I'll go and oh, knock on the tree. Oh, you don't have to climb up the mountain. No. We I'm can drive in and then walk that. in <laughs> in the dense forest. It'll be spooky. <laughs> That's yeah, all right, man. I'm all for it. I'll do it. in some snow, but we'll get there. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to hold you to that. We'll see when okay. I can fit it in. Now, we, we had a mystery caller from the 541 area code earlier in the uh, conversation, way, way earlier, like an hour and a half ago. They've been on hold for an hour. Okay. Let's see if they got their phone straightened oh, out. Goodness. And, uh, and okay. they they want to join in on the conversation here. Let's let's give them another shot. Okay. Five four one area code. Uh, you're on the air. What's going on? Uh, hi there. Uh, my name is Toby Johnson. I'm calling you from Eugene, Oregon. Can you hear me all right? We can hear you okay. So uh, if you if you have a question or a point, let's we'll try and we'll try and uh, mash it in, and then we may have to let you go because the call is not great. But go ahead. That's quite all right. Yeah, I just wanted to speak to the point um, of. Uh, I guess relationships as they pertain to being out in the field. I've um, I've definitely noticed in my own um, escapades out in the woods that there there seems to be something to their interaction being it greater or smaller based upon the relationships or the teams that you go out with. I.e., if I go out with a, a couple friends of mine, there may not be any action. Um, until one of us leaves, and at which point mm-hmm. the uh, the smaller numbers, I think, have to do with it. But I think it also has to do with the 
the relationships and the camaraderie between individuals. Um, I think it's repeatable. In my own case, it is repeatable. Um, so I, there is something to that. So when Adam speaks about his, uh, you know, his his uh, obvious dislike uh, by the big guy out in Lori's area there, um, that that's a total affirmative. There is a, uh, they definitely know what's going on. I don't know how the whole thing works, but um, it is repeatable. And so I just encourage people to try to find what works for them as far as uh, friendships or teams or the buddy system out, out in out in the areas there. If you're not getting anything um, in the group that you have, I I suggest switching up. Interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great. That's right. I mean, I and think, I think the, so the, the, level, the level of sentience is particularly interesting because there is a, there is an awareness, a, a cognizance, which is highly sophisticated, and which is is is, is greater than. Um, greater than you you would expect i mean i i don't i don't subscribe to, to the notion and never have that that any species is 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 totally benign um, and that 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 all of them are going to be wonderful and 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 and, and nice so I, I do think that there will be good ones there will be not so, not so good ones and that's that's borne out as i said before by every every history i think this one is particularly um aggressive and that was why it was a good a, a good a good study subject mm. uh but but mm -hmm. the, the point that toby made is that what you are seeking to achieve in, in the observational um uh, examples that you are getting is is is, 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 is evidence that you can repeat so repeatable evidence which 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 um, shows an evidence uh, which evidence is sentience and awareness, and that's what you're about in order to do that. I've oh, noticed. Go ahead, go ahead, Laurie. If I can add, I've noticed, mm -hmm. Adam, when you and I have walked down to visit the big guy and we had a large group of people, we got new response. But then when I came up with this one person, and then others slowly followed, then we got a response. And I've also noticed in the past, if I go up there with a particular person that has more of an alpha male um, persona, it's nothing. And so it really does matter who you take to your area. So that's my two cents, yeah. And I think that's true, and I think that goes to, 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 to Lauren's point as well. If you, if you um, portray um, alpha male behavior, um, with these things, and I, and I, and I have the view that obviously the, 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 the primate ape-related in some ways, then you're less likely to get um, a response, um, but simply because uh, they're not going to, you know, that's not going to, that's not the sort of reaction that you you want. But if you are non-threatening, if you behave in, in in that manner, and particularly with female with the pheromones, then you're more likely, I think, to get a response from them. Yeah. Um, so, so, so they are. They are intelligent. I mean, just how intelligent, I don't know. But they, they do have that behavioral pattern, and you will get those those examples. So I think that works very well. Absolutely. All right, Toby, thank you for calling in, pal. Got it. All right, very cool. Yeah, I definitely think there's something to the uh, – it's very weird. You wonder how they know, how they feel that relationship. Maybe it's some kind of sense of scent or something like that. But it's well, 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 pheromones, they'll be acutely yeah. aware of pheromones. I mean, you know, we've used those before on, on, on different programs. I used those before, for example, in, um, in Sumatra with, with, with Montequist. Pheromones are well known as, as a potential um, opportunity to attract things. So, um, and obviously the, 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 they respond. I think they have 
superior sense of smell, superior sense of hearing, and superior um, uh, night vision abilities to us. Hmm. Um, and, and all Absolutely. of those things are used to their yeah. advantage. Now, what, what about the... This is one of the things that's always intrigued me about the Bigfoot, was the... Um, people talk about sort of how it emits some kind of, like, scent, a musty sort of smell. Did you ever pick up anything like that in the area, or was it possible that since mm. it's lurking underground, that you never really got... Oh, you did? Okay. Yes, absolutely. I did. It was actually back in it was back in September when we had the expedition. Adam came to my area for the very first time with a group from Europe and I remember Adam and I we were in the tent and I didn't know if Adam was asleep or not. But I'm laying there in my sleeping bag and I smell the smell long the tent on my side and I knew that smell because I had smelt it before and I didn't say anything and later on I asked Adam did you smell that outside the tent? He's like yes I smelled it too (laughs) oh my goodness so yes are you sure right Adam wasn't just covering up the passing gas? Wandering around. It, it wasn't me, Tim, I want you to know. Okay, yeah, that was my first one. <laughs> no. Before anyone blames me, Did you... We, we, we talked earlier about the the eerie photograph uh, of, of something lurking over you while you guys slept. Now, when when Dr. Sykes was out there... Were you guys camping out, or was he like, "No, nah, I'm cool. I'm in the hotel tonight, guys." We, we, well, I, I said to him, we, we, we talked about, you know, going to that photograph. I mean, the photographs are never definitive evidence, yeah. Right. And, um, you know, th- th- there's been a lot of arguments about whether that photograph is something or is it not something. For me, it was because I could see um, a musculature, a V-shaped musculature on the back, which I, I think can't be explained away. But even if it wasn't, it doesn't matter. It wasn't, it's not persuasive evidence, and it, and, it, and it doesn't detract from the rest of the information, yeah? So I'd park that there. I mean, I think it disturbs me on a personal level that something was there that close to me, but um, it, it caused Absolutely. a lot of controversy, and I understand that. But again, you know, any photograph would. Um, so I, I, want, I always wanted to move away from that and focus, it, focus in on the data and right, right, the DNA. Right. And that was what Sykes was about. We're, you know, so we did. We did. I, I did talk to him about that, and we sort of had a, had a bit of a debate about that. I said we can always, always, um, we can always camp out, and he said, well, he said, Adam, you might be keen on losing a limb, but I'm not particularly. You know, we had a bit of a joke about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, 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 um, so we we did we didn't we didn't camp, and I don't think Laurie wanted to camp either. Um, so, so I mean, Laurie can interject if she mm. if she thinks I'm wrong. I don't mind. But. So we, we stayed not it's far true. away from the area. I, I didn't want to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we stayed not, I, I wouldn't have minded doing it, but we stayed not far, far away from the area in a research thing. So we came in and out during the day uh, uh, was when we did the research. And at night, as I said, we, we'd get the samples and we'd analyze them back at the place. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um is there, we we got ten minutes left in the live program. Is there anything? I, I hopefully you guys can stick around for a little bit longer because uh, I have questions for Adam about his, his book and you know we, we who knows what we're going to get into before in the next ten minutes. Um, you got a little bit of time, right, Adam? Yeah, yeah, I've got time. I, I, as it's getting late here, I'm going to pour myself. Uh, I'm going to pour myself a traditional bin or whiskey, which I always have towards the end of your shows. Yeah, there mm-hmm. you go. Have one for me as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
now I lost my train of thought because I was thinking about the whiskey there, Adam. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you guys didn't you, you didn't do any camping out? You said Dr. Sykes was working with the uh, folks from the wildlife and fisheries and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Did you deal with any of those people? Or was that all Dr. Sykes? Uh, that was Sykes. Yeah. You know, okay, that was he. he I mean, actually, we, we, we did a lot of it. Uh, ground. Laurie may well have done them via rats. Go on. Do you want to? Well, I just thought it was truly amazing that that the lab actually trained Brian Sykes how to collect DNA before conducting the Big Eye Project. And I just thought that was truly amazing. And we had forensics. Adam. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Forensics. Exactly. So Brian, Adam, and I had a discussion on how we are to conduct the project. And so that was truly amazing. So he was trained how to conduct this project before going ahead with it. And that was wonderful. And that was the government. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's the I, interesting I think, I think the point I'd make, because I thought about this, is, is people can often say in the Bigfoot community, there's a massive government conspiracy to cover up the existence of, of Bigfoot. Right. And, and I... And I where, where, what I, I think about this is there may be um, rogue individuals or even small groups that might be persuaded to do such, but I don't think the government would act as a whole entity to cover it up. And it certainly wasn't my personal experience because there was a I, – I don't understand how American constitutional government structures work, but, but all I all – because I'm from Britain, <laughs> and I'm not right. interested. Uh, you know, I'm not interested in, in politics in my own country, nor, so, so I'm not, certainly not interested in America. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but – um, what I would say is that there was a degree of, of, of corroboration here with, with, with government institutions who were willing to um, share their knowledge labs and research. And, um, you know, Brian also enlisted help with Rangers at some point to, 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 to help him, uh, to accompany him um, after we had left. So um, people were willing to help. We're willing to help on an individual and an institutional basis. So, you know, and, and I think Lauren made the point, you know, when you talk about governments and stuff like that, and I agree with it, you know, we t- he made a point about border controls and things like that. Well, the government, you know, from their point of view, have better things to do than devote their resources to this sort of stuff. Right. They're there to protect their communities, to, 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 to keep people, terrorists away and stuff like that. They're not there to um, do Bigfoot research. It's not what they're paid to do, you know, and it's like, you know, Hey, you guy! I pay you to protect the, to protect us from criminals. Get get the shit away from that Bigfoot research and do your job. <laughs> you know, exactly. And that's what I would say as a taxpayer. If I was in America, that's what the resource is. But what I want to say, and the point I want to emphasise and switch is, you now have these areas where um, it is. Even if you are extremely sceptical about the whole thing, and you think. Oh, this is a load of. This is probably a load of bull. What you do have now is 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 you have areas which are worthy of interest of scientific study, which have been corroborated by a number of, di- of different individuals from all different walks and backgrounds. Some of them plausible, incredible scientists who are prepared to go out there and with their own money and fund these things. Not just me, not just Laurie, not just other people, not just film producers, but people who really give a, who can actually do this research. What 
what we lack, what we lack is the funding to do concentrated, credible scientific research over a number, over an extended period in these areas, which are at the, even at the lowest point plausible. Yeah. At the lowest point mm-hmm. plausible. Absolutely. Obviously, I know what's there in my own mind. Yeah, otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to, to you on this show. But that's the leap that, that needs to happen next. We've come a phenomenally long way with, with, with this research project and with others. But there's just that last bit to go, and that's the most important bit, getting that data. And, you know, we now have an opportunity. You know, Tim, you said about this. If I was, if I was loaded, I would fund it tomorrow, yeah? Right. I would fund it tomorrow because I know the result. Yeah, I know. That's the that's the exciting part, and especially exciting mm-hmm. too. You, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. We're seeing the story unfold, and that's why I was sort of hung up a little bit about the fact that, as far as we know, Doctor Sykes Ooh. hasn't gone back, and we haven't seen anything happen since the uh, the May 2013 expedition. Because it's exciting in a sense, because we we seem to be moving along. There's an evolution here where it seems like he's trying. He's kind of become an advocate in a way. He's trying to figure out how to to go over that hurdle and and sort of like solidify this thing. You can kind of like see it as you're reading uh Man Beast, you know, how he's just sort of like first he goes there and he experiences this stuff and then he goes back and he's and he's sort of like, let's try and figure out the best way to do this. You know, so hopefully this is kinda of like percolating still like that, that that we're gonna make that next step. And truly Yeah, well no transition from when he first heard me speak at the Go ahead, Adam. Oh, I'll just make this one point, Laurie, and then Go you, you come in. Okay, there was, sure, there no was this transition from when he first heard me speak. Yeah, when he first heard me speak at the, the, the 2011 conference, the CFZ conference, and he said, well, you know, it's a massive long shot. Um, I think it probably won't be successful, but now I've heard you speak, I'm prepared to give it a shot. So when we went down to Oxford and discussed it, and then obviously he had that experience with Laurie, and he's advocating that. So there's, a, there's that transition, which I think we've seen. Laurie, what was the point you wanted to make? Go ahead, Laurie. Oh, well, I was just thinking that um, where we go from here, you know, I was just thinking that, um, you know, as much as Adam and I would love to be there and continue on with the research, it does cost money, and we have regular jobs. So as much as I would like to go up there every day and continue my father's journey in the research, I have a regular job. I mm-hmm. and and so that's where we have to kind of pass it on and hope that somebody like Professor Brian Sykes will be able to obtain the funding to continue on the research because we do have the area and it's my father's area and his discovery and the big guy and this should continue on because there really is no looking for Bigfoot anymore because we have his address. And exactly. That's all I really have to say. That's the exciting part. That's the, you know, that's why I said I'd be there in a heartbeat if uh, if we could put it all together because it seems like we, we're, we're, no, we're not searching for Bigfoot, or at least we're not searching for a Bigfoot right now because no. it sounds like we know where the Bigfoot is. Now we just got to figure out how to best you know, mm-hmm. like I said, There's get over that next hurdle. There's a family of them. Yeah. There. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's really... They, they live in a family. 
and it's the one, which I say, the big guy, because my father calls him the big guy, and he's the one that's the loudest. He's yeah. the one that makes the most noise, and he lets you know he's there. He's the alpha male of them all. And so, but there's a family of them there, and it's truly amazing yeah. how they watch over me and Adam, too, when we were there. It's truly amazing. Yeah. It's it's really it's really some remarkable stuff. Now we got one minute left for the live show, and then we're going to go okay. to the post show. So uh, we'll just say goodbye okay. to the live listeners. Awesome turnout in the chat. Big thanks to Tom Cantrell, who was actually mentioned in Adam's book. He experienced a lot of this stuff uh, on the American expeditions, and he was in the chat, sort of clearing up some points for folks in the chat. So big thanks. To the folks in the chat, Lori, you got a website you want to plug here uh, for the live listeners? They can check Absolutely. out anything. Absolutely, uh... it's trackingbigfoot.com. It's trackingbigfootwordpress.com, and that's for the book Tracking Bigfoot, as well as Tracking Bigfoot: The Journey Continues, and. Um, that will be available soon. And yes, Tom Cantrell also visited my area several times and taught me so much about communicating with the big guy. And I, pre- I just truly appreciate everything he's taught me. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks to all the live listeners for tuning in. I think they've already left us by now. But thank you to all the folks who tuned in thank you. in the chat room. And live. Now we're in the post show, so we're, we're going to keep going with the show, Lori. Uh, we're going to continue onward here. So I, I, okay. I mentioned to Adam, it's funny because I, I and I, this is a point I want the, the, the BOA audio listeners to check out if they ever get the chance. When Adam was on in the summertime, I knew about this mm-hmm. story, I knew the gist of it. And we had Adam on for, a, for an interview about his general uh, his research. I think we were talking about the Orang Pendek stuff. Yeah. And then we go to the this post show and I had to quickly jump in and remind Adam that we were still on the air and I, I uh, for folks who who are wondering we were holding on to this story <laughs> by our by our fingertips and right as the show ended I had to jump on and say okay Adam the show's still on so don't say anything you don't want out there on the record pal that's okay <laughs> well, I, was worried it, I was worried it would burst I, I was worried it would burst because um, Robert Lindsay had originally put up something about Laurie and Brian um, going out. Um, yes. Yeah, and I remember saying, "Oh shit, it's about to burst," but it never did. Um, so, so exactly, uh, we Robert, managed to keep a wrap yes. Yeah, yeah Robert Lindsay posted no. that Brian Sykes believes that Bigfoot does exist after visiting Laurie Simmons' location, and we're trying yeah. to keep it under wraps. Because and he I was like, oh, is shit, a it's professor. Break. It's break. He needs to, exactly, exactly. He needs to look at it in the scientific aspect and not as, you know, as I would. And right, so right. Now, I got a question, though. He needs though. to keep everything under wraps. I, I know that Sykes said it was cool for you guys to tell the story, but part of the, it, it, yeah. you mentioned in the book, Adam, that, that, uh, that it was integral that you would wait for him to publish before you told the story because it could threaten the the, the research or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're we're okay though. We we haven't mm-hmm. we haven't you know uh, we haven't thrown the well, baby the out with the bathwater by talking about tonight. Yeah, he published a scientific paper which has come out because we obviously we didn't get the data that we hmm. needed, so that came out. And 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 as I said, you know, we we both we never had 
an NDA or any legal document. It was a gentleman's agreement. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, exactly. what he said to us is we sat down in the sunshine um, just as we were leaving, the three of us, and we had a talk, and he said, you know, not a word publicly about this, you two, until um, I have given you permission to say so. So, and I wanted that permission in writing, and, and, and when it came, I forwarded it to, it forwarded it to Laurie. Yeah. Um, and um, and that's what happened. So that permission had to come hmm. um, before 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 it does. I mean, and I don't know what he will say, um, but um, all of I can say that all of the observations in my book and and uh, and I guess in Laurie's book when. Laurie publishes hers are on my personal account of what happened, and I stand by them. Yeah. So, so you know, wh- whatever he says, um, he'll he'll have his own viewpoint. But that's that's my view of, of what happened. Now, is there anything that we missed here over the course of the last couple hours talking about this this story and this expedition that that uh you know because clearly I'm coming in this with a very very limited amount of information just the mm-hmm. just the stuff from Adam's book which obviously is tremendous and and uh, very enlightening but I've covered all the stuff that <laughs> that I could that I could spoil from Adam's book I apologize there's tons more yeah, in there folks need to get man beasts the personal investigation but is there anything that 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 we haven't covered yet about the uh the sykes expedition that that we should uh make sure people know about no i think i think that i think that that's it i mean i wanted to put those humorous points in yeah the thing i'd say is that you know most of them are this is my view most of the most bigfoots are benign i don't think uh, if they were intrinsically aggressive i think that there would be much more encounters of an aggressive nature between people and Bigfoots, and um, that would have been bad for the Bigfoots, ultimately. Hmm. Um, but, um, um, you know, um, this one is aggressive, and because it was aggressive, because it's displayed that different that, that variety yeah. of emotions, that's what enabled us to do some great research, and it's bold. Hmm. So it's prepared to take... Um, to, 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 um, it's prepared, we were prepared to take those risks. So, um, you know, it, it, what it needs is some research. You know, it needs that research yeah. um, to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Um, so, mm-hmm. so if that happens, we'll prove it exists, I think, or somebody will. Um, oh, absolutely. So, um, well, and, I gotta take, and that's all that needs I, to happen. i got to take my hat off to Laurie, too, because uh, you seem to be very good at discerning who to bring out there. I mean, you're not bringing some of these freaks from the Bigfoot research community out, and you're not bringing no. the, the hoaxers and the, the Tom Biscardi types out to, to check mm-hmm. this out. I mean, no. you're bringing out the best mm-hmm. people possible to check this, yeah. this uh, location well, out. And I hope that you, you stick know, to that, because I'm sure a lot of people are going to come out absolutely. of the woodwork now and say, Lori, I can absolutely. I can get you the Bigfoot in 10 minutes, no. you know, so, so please be no. careful with who you bring out. <laughs> I'm, I'm not bringing just anybody out there. You know, the people I bring out there is going to be the people I already know and trust. And it's not just going to be anybody. And Adam and I, we actually, we established a relationship for nine months before he even came out. So it was that trusting relationship I had with Adam before I allowed him out to my father's area. Right, right. um, Yeah, exactly. And, and I sort of alluded to this mm-hmm. earlier in the in the conversation. Uh, uh, Tom Cantrell yeah. kind of cleared it up a little bit more in the show. This is 
this is a, a pretty massive swath of land, this marble area you're talking about. So it's not like people mm-hmm. can even just from reading yes. the book or even from listening to the interview, they oh. can't just put it's you know pick up pick spot. up and, and find this tree yes. where the where the Bigfoot is. No, yeah, and, I, and I've, I've been very exactly. careful about that. I didn't want it's, you know, I didn't want you that look to at the mountain happen. and he can be anywhere. And the thing is. He lets you know he is there because he wants you to know. And for some amazing reason, he let my father know he's there. And then he let me know he's there. And I'm just going to, if if I can, just continue on. And I would love to have this research flourish as much as it possibly can to prove yeah. that this would really does exist because there's no finding. We, ha- I have his address. He gave me his address. He gave me his phone number, his email address. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so we should really work on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, like I said, Lori, if you would be so kind as to host me, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put something together in 2015. I'd be happy to go out there and check it out. <laughs> I would, absolutely. Yeah, I'll take you there. All right, well, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk some more. Extra uh, pair of shorts. You know what I mean. Oh, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely work something out because I would make that trip well, in a heartbeat. We need to be up as well, Tim, you know. We Adam, need yeah, you should, Adam, you should join you need us. to come over for this then. Yes. If, mm-hmm. if Tim is coming out, then you need to fly out for this. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll yeah. then Lori, then afterwards you and I will go on a show about how we saw Adam dismembered by a Bigfoot and <laughs> Yes. Yes. How can you be and so then, You know what, Tim? So that's how we're gonna get our DNA. <laughs> that's how we'll get the that's DNA. That's how we're yeah. gonna get our DNA. <laughs> we're gonna Adam, have it all on video. <laughs> I'm gonna be wearing my GoPro on my head. <laughs> Oh god! I'll have to put mine backwards because I'll be running away from the scene. So we'll just need I, to... I, I, I can I can run fucking faster than you, Tim. <laughs> I have a feeling you'd trip me. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> but I'm serious. I'll make the trip, Adam. Let me know. Uh, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll talk down the line. We'll talk off yeah, the air. We'll, but we'll next time anyway, this know, gets I'll put together, it. I would I would do it in a heartbeat because this. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, that's good. You see, you know, that, that, that's good. That's good. You I know mean, me. I, you know, I don't hey, know. Let's do this. <laughs> the point you made, I mean, I, I was, uh, you know, because uh, it's alive, I'm always a little bit cautious, but the, the point you made about what will be the repercussions of this, I mean, who knows, you know, I don't know what, what will happen as, as a result of this, but um, I, I think, you know, for, I was always conscious of it with, 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 with Laurie's dad. The, the reason I got involved was I was enormously impressed with, with his research, and when you listen to his tapes, they are, you know, I remember Laurie playing the tapes at, at the site, and they are incredibly moving. They actually really moved me um, uh, and humbled me. Um, so I would hope that um, if there is any legacy about this, hmm. um, you know, because I, I only play a small part in these things, but if there is any legacy of, uh, about this, it would be that um, his memory um, would be honoured as a result of that, and that that would be marvellous. Thank um, you. Yeah, I would stop yes. there. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, this could be the Thank breakthrough you. that we've been waiting generations for. Yeah. So mm-hmm. no, we can only hope. You have no idea, but it was um, 
my father's dying wish, truly. He tracked Bigfoot. He studied the big guy up until the last few months of his life. That's how much the big guy meant to him to prove his existence. And I just feel like even though he never wanted me to go visit the big guy, I just feel like I have to continue with his legacy. I have to prove that the big guy exists. I feel like it's my responsibility. And with any kind of help, I would be happy, just truly happy to accept yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Now, Lori, tell us about the book and uh, when it's coming out. And uh, you already gave the website, but give it again uh, where folks can get the book and, and find out more about uh, about your, your, your side of the whole expedition. Well, the book's called Tracking Bigfoot, which is a book published. Um, I, my father wrote it as his journal, and I finished writing the book. And the sequel to that book is Tracking Bigfoot, The Journey Continues, because I continue on this journey with Adam, Brian Sykes, and I bring in so many amazing people that are co-founders of Bigfoot organizations, and I am just truly grateful for all that they have done for me. And I have put this in a book called Tracking Bigfoot, The Journey Continues, and it will be released soon, and um, hopefully within the next few weeks or so. And my website is trackingbigfootwordpress.com. And the book does donate to cancer research because um, my father lost his his battle to cancer research, to cancer, and the money goes to the scientists to prove that cancer, um, uh, to prove the, to um, come up with a cure for cancer. And so, uh, I'm sorry. I'm just kind of emotional right now. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I totally. I. I yeah. we, we're kinfolk, Lori, because I too lost my father yeah. to cancer as well. So I, you know, my Absolutely. heart goes out to you. It's a. It's a horrible, yeah. uh, and horrible so disease. I feel like publishing my father's book and the sequel book. The money really does need to go to a cure for cancer. And recently. Huh. Cancer has affected my family again, and so, again, I want to um, make sure that the money goes to fund a cure for several hundreds of cancers out there, that the scientists will find a cure. So, um, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for for joining us on the program. I really do appreciate it, and uh, let's keep in touch. And like I said, if you'll have me... uh, We'll work something out and, and, and work towards something uh, down the line where I can get out there and check out this location because it sounds Absolutely. like it's a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime situation. Yes. So thank you so much. Yes. Tracking Bigfoot is thank the you. website. Just Google Lori Simmons if you have to, folks. And like I said, Lori, please hang in there. And, you know, my heart goes out to you. And obviously we're keeping your thank family you. in our thoughts and prayers. Thank you. Have a great thank night. You. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Have a great night. Not Bye. a problem at all. Thank you. All right, there's Lori Simmons. Thank you so much to Lori for coming on the show. Tracking Bigfoot is the book. Tracking Bigfoot, The Journey Continues is uh, the new book that should be coming out in a few weeks. 
Adam, uh, the, the new book you have coming out that's out right now, Man Beasts, A Personal Investigation, it's really good stuff, man. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, as I said, I read it yesterday and today and awesome. uh, really enjoyed it quite a lot. Yeah, awesome. And, and you know, people can follow me on, on, on Adam Davis' Facebook, and they can just do that on adamdavisexplorer.com is the website, and they can see what I'm up to. And, uh, and, and you know, it's my pleasure to share. I mean, this has been, um, you know, my last book came out in 2008. This has been the culmination of, of, of um, as I said, five years of research. So, you know, I've not just looked for Bigfoot. I've looked for a number of things all over the world, and this is a culmination of the conclusions of that research. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that's what this has been about. So... Uh, now I have a few. It's been extraordinary. <laughs> it's it's amazing. The story tonight is amazing. And like I said, uh, just to sort of clarify a little bit, you know, when I asked, uh, has this story made made an impact, or you think it'll make a big impact? It wasn't, you know, I wasn't like rubbing my hands together, like, oh yes, we got no, we got the world premiere of the story, and now it's going to be a, a, in the sun tomorrow. It's no, like, but my attitude is like, more people need to know about this. And like you said, if, if Doctor Sykes is willing to go out. You know, and, and put his name on the line, put his money on the line to 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 fund this expedition. That should be, I wouldn't say that should be enough for people, but it should be enough for people to give this a a, a healthier look, to give it a, a a less jaded look, and and to really sort of make some of these skeptics that were like all a tither about the the, the more negative DNA evidence to be like, well, wait a minute now, this this well, changes. The research that. was extraordinary in itself. You know, a new species of bear was discovered which was completely out of sync. That was, that was an extraordinary piece of research. But people then say, oh, well, that means the, the, the Bigfoot doesn't exist. Well, that's bullshit. It doesn't right. mean that at all. Exactly. Um, you know, it was an extra- this, is a, this is an extraordinary time for cryptozoology. All of these things are happening, you know, and some of the things I've seen and experienced, um, you know, which I mentioned in my book, were, were amazing. Um, and there are um, mm. some of these creatures in very remote parts of the world Aside from 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 Bigfoot, which are are still there, but time's running out for them. And we, what we need is, is is one major discovery, and it will change the consciousness. I think it will tip the balance. We just need one. Don't care if it's me. No ego about it whatsoever. Just, right. Just somebody. Exactly. Just somebody find the DNA. That's great. Yeah, I'll be really delighted. Absolutely. I now I have some points here from Man Beast. Uh, personal investigation. Just a few ones, and, and as I said to you off the air before we started the show, it was sort of it's a great companion to the to the many hours we've spent talking on this show because you know each chapter sort of breaks down the different expeditions, and as fate would have it, almost all of the chapters we've devoted a whole show of Been All of America Audio to the different expeditions. So I'm not going to throw these at you and be like, tell me about the you know, the search for the Mokele Mamebe, because people can go back and check that out on, on Banal of America Audio and get a lot of depth on that. So here's some, I have about uh, about eight points here from the book mm-hmm. that, were, that I think that are more often than not going to make you laugh, because mm-hmm. what I liked about the book, too, is it's as much about the cryptids, it may be even more about the people than the cryptids. It's yeah. really about the people that you're dealing with on these adventures, and I don't mean dealing with in a bad way. I mean, you know, yeah. interacting with, teaming up with, forming friendships and bonds with uh, as you search for these things. So really, really, as you say, it's a personal investigation. It's a very deeply personal book, which I like that a lot. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm sure this one will get a, get a laugh out of you first. Uh, please clarify the term, he's all fur coat and no knickers. I've never heard this before. And, uh, <laughs> I want to start. Means, I want to start using it in my in every day, so I need to know exactly what it means. What it means is that um, 
and actually no substance, yeah? Ah. So it's all about show and not about substance. Okay. I'm gonna, I like that. Mm-hmm. Like, that'll really confuse people, too. <laughs> I'm going to bust that out tomorrow at work. Bust it out, Tim. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, you also mentioned in the book, uh, you're sort of mulling about different potential expeditions. And uh, mm-hmm. at one point, you say you were thinking about going to Cambodia to research the Barmanu, which uh, did not come to fruition yet. But... It's a creature that I'd never heard of, and I figured I'd just ask you instead of Googling it. What is the, what is the Barmanu, and um, you know, what, what, are the, what are the odds that you're going to be able to make it out to Cambodia at some point and look into that? Well, you know, the, the, I, I have a number. Let me, let me answer the question in a roundabout way, but I have a number of, of, of potential. Um, I'm, I'm very fascinated by hominid research, and there's a number of, 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 of ones I want to research yeah, in different areas. So that's one in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. I was very interested in that because I've got a friend called Jeremy Holden, who's a wildlife cameraman who's done, spent a lot of time in Cambodia. So that was that. Was that. But, but my, my attitude and leads change. So at that time, I was interested in, in doing some more stuff in Southeast Asia, and I still am. But right now, um, you know, I'm getting, because of the Bigfoot stuff, I'm getting a number of, of different leads. I've just got a very, very good one in Canada, for example. Yeah. So I, I, I sort of change what I want to do based on the veracity of the leads. So um, it depends what comes up. You know, it's always the same with me, Tim. Time, money, opportunity, desire. Right, <laughs> All right. of those things. And, and it, you know, if you, there's a number of places I would go back to and do things with. Yeah, um, I, I think we're in a I think we're in a in a strong place. So, but the, the the thing that interests me most right now is Bigfoot. So, you know, I have to do this in my spare time. So, if you're asking me where I'd go right now, I'd be more Bigfooting. Okay, all right. But what is the Bar Manu? Is that like a essentially like a Bigfoot of Cambodia? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Now tell this story because uh, this was like. I don't know what I would do in your situation. This is a deep, this is a sort of situation where it's like you're going in, you're going on these expeditions. You could run into all kinds of potential wildlife, but uh, one of the, I think one of the lessons learned here from the book is at times the most dangerous wildlife is of course the human. And you tell the story about how you're in Abu Dhabi, and you and you look away from your bag for one second, thirty seconds maybe, and and someone steals your wallet from your bag, and right before oh, the start of an expedition. It. This sounds. Oh. This whole Almasti expedition that you mentioned in the well, book. Well, that was that was to Nepal. Oh, okay. I'm just, I was, yeah. yeah, I was doing. No, it's right. I was going to see Abominable Snowman. I was making a film, and I was a bit. I was a bit wary of of, of going up there because I'd done some mountaineering, um, but but it was low level. It was sort of Alps, yeah. And this was frigging Nepal in January, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. And some of the some of the guys there, you know. <laughs> I know my limits, Tim, and, and the guy the guy who was the cameraman for that was, um, he he climbed Everest twice in a week, and there was this Japanese Olympic mountaineer, and, and, and then there was me, and we were going, <laughs> we were going to ascend this um, freaking mountain, Dalagari, you know, go up there and do the filming, so it was stressful enough as it was, and I was thinking, shit, how am I going to get up there, you know, mm. these are top level mountaineers, and I'm, I'm not, and I've got to climb this. And then to exacerbate it, I had my bloody wallet nicked, even, and I wasn't even freaking well there. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that was it. So, so it was just not what I needed as a preparation thing. But I, I think you know that's important to say that I'm fallible. Things go wrong, and then you you learn to adapt and apply yourself and carry on. Right, right. And it's like again, it's like it's not the wildlife. Well, obviously you have to worry about the wildlife and the environment you're going to and stuff. But it's like. 
you know, maybe in all that concentration, you forget about the urban environment and the people on the way and how things can go wrong. It's like, so you say in the book that you had two wallets, but still, even if I lost my wallet in that situation, I think it would be, I think it would just completely leave me completely thrown off. So, I mean, I give you credit for just sort of rolling with it because I think I'd be like, you know what, forget it. I'm going home. This is a mess. Well, you know, you have to make a snap decision. And and the bottom line is is I wanted to go. Yeah. So, you you know, you take take the risk. And I had very little – it's stressful because you have very little money money and you're in a third-world country. Right, that's what I mean. I like to have a bit of cash with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I just had to – you know, I had to plow on. I wasn't going to go home – opportunity of a lifetime right 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 so and i had a great time you know aside from some great expedition i was riding around in helicopters singing riders on the storm it was great you know had fun nice nice um and uh yeah again on the yeti search uh you mentioned you talked about this on the show when you were on talking about that expedition but uh i I just got kind of wanted kind of want you to paint a picture more a little bit here with this. You talk about the, the slope, and you say because of the slope when you're climbing the mountain, if you were to fall, you'd have a 30 to 40-second slide uh, to your death. What's, it, what, what's at the end of that 30 to 40 seconds? A cliff? A cliff. Jesus. Which, which, is, which is thousands of feet down to rocks. Oh, God. So, so, so when I was walking across that, I knew that it sounds bullshit when people say one slip and you're dead, but it was true. You know, it really was one slip and you're dead. And I, I did actually think, well, because I was working it out because it took a long time to cross that particular slope. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, it was hours. And then I remember thinking, well, all it takes is that. And if I, and if I, and if I do slip, I'll know that I'm going to die. So for your listeners, if you can't start try, try counting to 40 now, um, you know, you do the thing, Kodak 1, Kodak 2. It's a long time to know you're going to snuff it down the slope. It was unpleasant. You know, and I remember Maggie, who's a fixer. A fixer is a, is a person who does the, you know, who does the does the um, does logistics the, type the, stuff. Yeah, logistics for the, for a film. I remember her crying, um, realizing that we have to go back down that way. It was it was freaking awful. Um, so um, it, it's um, it was it was it was a very very hard time. I mean. And the thing, I, you know, I'd emphasize about all the things I've done with these, with these man beasts. I mean, there's been some amazing times, some glamorous times, but I haven't just tipped up and got lucky. This is years of research, thousands of pounds of my own money, um, life risks. Um, you, know, I, you know, I've been lucky. I've cheated. I've cheated death a few times. I should be snuffed it by now. Um, certainly my family would say so. Um, my poor mother has had numerous heart, near heart attacks worrying yeah. about me, <laughs> um, uh, but I'm still here, mm. um, and I, I'm fortunate that I am because I, you know, there's been a number of occasions over the last 15 years where I really should have uh, lost it, but I, that didn't happen. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, there's a couple of instances in the book. I think at one point you said that you, you you got to a point where the, I think he said like you couldn't. Essentially, you had to go 100 feet up or 100 feet down. You're pretty much like you're pretty much screwed at that point. Uh, mm. And it's like, oh, geez, I don't know what I would do in that situation. Yeah, I mean, you just have sometimes you just have to just have to go for it, and no, I know, you, you yeah. have to you have to trust your instincts and, and just hope that you'll you'll get through. And I mean, fortunately, I, I did. Um, in, in those, but you know, I, I don't regret them. I wouldn't. I've had I've done some amazing things. When I look back on on, on the things in that book, some amazing things. I wouldn't I wouldn't change them for a second. I've I, been very lucky to have and share the experiences that I have. They've been incredible. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And, and, I'm, 
I'm blessed to have done them. I know kind of like what you're talking about, because this summer I I foolishly climbed a mountain on my own, which is a dumb Mm -hmm. thing to do anyway, with like barely any water and just, 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 I don't know, maybe I was having an Adam Davies moment where I was like, I'll be like Adam Davies and climb a mountain. And then I got like halfway and I was like exhausted and, and, and just dehydrated and everything. And I was just like, well, you know, you're really kind of screwed, man. You're halfway up the mountain. You're, you got to go, you know, you got you to get to the top or you got to get back to the bottom, but you're still, you're still in the thick of it here, you dummy. So, so I can kind <laughs> of, I, I can kind of imagine that in an even more extreme situation when you're, you know, in the Himalayas or something like that, it can be even, you know, at that point you do press on, you kind of just like, well, Fuck it, man. I'm deep in this, man. I'm up to my neck in this mistake or, or whatever. So I better, I better extricate myself from it. So I, I kind of can't tell you what you mean, but on a much smaller scale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, and you have that adrenaline rush. Yeah, um, yeah. It is really, really important to 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 have that adrenaline rush and to do those things. Um, and and though, but you see that in that moment. You know, if I talk about you, so it's Adam Davis interviewing Tim Biddle, yeah? Yeah. In, in that moment, you felt alive, did you not? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was sort of really in the alive. moment, in a real, like, mm-hmm. way. It, it was a, it was something in that, that moment, after I did it, I wanted alive. to do it again, like, you know. And I, I in the moment, I was like, I don't know if I ever, this is a mistake. But then afterwards, I was like, I want to do this all the time. This is amazing. Yeah, and in that, and you were um, in 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 that in that um, in that moment when you did that, you were alive. You felt more alive. You'll play that moment back for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. Neither of us will play the moments back when we're sat at our desks doing a freaking spreadsheet you know, on <laughs> Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, you know, absolutely, you're right. Yeah, we won't. I mean, I don't. You know, do you know what I mean? You will always have that moment, and you survived it. You came through it. You showed resilience. And these these moments make you feel alive, yeah? It goes back to you. I mean, the first show we ever did, I talked to you about the fact that one of the formative experiences in my life was when my sister Alexandria died of cancer when she was very young. And as a consequence of that, it changed my view because I, you, I thought, well, I'll, 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 you never know when you're going to go. And because of that, what that did was it shaped my life. And... Um, I take these risks. I do these things because I want, it's important to feel alive, and it's important not to be, be overcome by drudgery and the mundanity that life brings, and have these life experiences. So you took a risk. Some of it was foolhardy. Foolhardy. You live for that moment. You don't regret it because you did damn well. Yeah. You absolutely. Yeah. That's... And, and some of that is what this is about. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, on a much smaller scale, I did. I definitely experienced it. I know what you mean because, like. It was really, I said to somebody afterwards, it was like one of the most gratifying and stupidest things I've ever done in my life. And, I mean, the, the gratifying part far yeah, exactly. outweighed, you know, because afterwards everything everything turned out fine. So it was like, okay, well, you didn't break your ankle or anything, so you're not a complete moron. But, you know, next time be prepared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was, that was all. It was a sort of Ill, ill-prepared sort of thing. But, uh, you know, being in the moment and pushing through it was like, this is awesome. This is like, this is crazy. I can't believe I did this. So yeah, and I still talk about it, you know, to this day. Uh, so it was, and like you said, it sure beats uh, spreadsheets and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so exactly. I got a few more here, quick ones here. Uh, we may have talked about this before, but uh, you 
you teased, uh, you touched on in the book, uh, the, the dangers of altitude sickness. What what are the symptoms of altitude? How, how what happens mm-hmm. when someone gets afflicted with this? I think they mentioned like a puffy face or something like that. But you know, what, what how is this so bad? Yeah, puffy face, delirious. Yeah, the, um, the thing that made me laugh about all of that was MB, who was our Sherpa at the time. He, um, um, he, he, he basically said. You know, you have to be very careful. You have to watch for delirium. You have to watch for people slurring the words, puffy faces, um, all of that lot, and um, and uh, all of those things. And um, and and then Yagihara San, the Japanese guy, the Olympic, there. He on the first night, he, he, he everyone listened in quiet. On the first night, he caned half a bottle of whiskey and smoked a packet of fags and said. Oh, I'm not listening to any of that. I just do what I want. <laughs> so then we were all drinking and smoking and all sorts of shit going on on that mountain because it was dangerous, you know. And you, you know, I climbed that. I climbed that frigging mountain with 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 him and with him and Jeff, the cameraman. And you know, um, you wondered whether you were going to snuff it when you were climbing up it. And there was an avalanche the next day. I remember on the spot where we'd been doing some filming. So when you get down from the mountain, you have a drink and chill out, you know. Yeah. And you're in that sort of environment, but then you're taking massive life risks. But you know, in those moments, you feel truly alive. You do. Absolutely. Um, now, one of the other things uh, you may have kind of already mentioned this, but uh, one of the it seems like we, we talked about the sort of undercurrent, the thread, the Bigfoot thread of the book, but another sort of theme that kept coming up was uh, Bhutan. This sounds like this is like this dream expedition for you, because every time... Oh, I'd love to go to Yeah, that. every time you mention it in the book, you're like, oh. I really want to go, but it's really going to be hard to do, and, and it seems like every time you're planning a new expedition, it's sort of like the, the uh, you know, the, 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 the A-list one you'd really like to do, and then other opportunities come up, and you take those... Uh, because this is such a challenge financially and otherwise. So I guess, do you talk a little bit about the Bhutan expedition theoretically, what, what it would be? And, uh, you know, is it still something you really want to do? And, and is it something that's, that could possibly happen in the future? Yeah. If, if I could have my dream, I'd, I'd, I, you know, my dream has always been, as you know, to be able to, to, to be funded to go and do this stuff all over the world. Right. And, and one of the places I'd like to go to is Bhutan. Because they, I do feel that there's a number of interesting things there where um, you, you know, there's the research there. The King of Bhutan has a Yeti tracker. The jungle is amazing. There's, there's as yet undiscovered species. I think it would be an awesome place to visit. I'd love it. I would. So, yes, I'd like to go. I would love to do these things full time for yeah. a living. But, you know, it's luck and opportunity, always. You know, but even if I don't, I'll still be doing this for a number of years. And I've done some amazing research this year, some of which yet I haven't even shared with you yet, um, which I can't, but I will do. <laughs> oh, Adam. Now, the other the other thing I wanted to mention, we... Uh, I'm teasing you, Tim. I know. I'm teasing you, but there's stuff to come. Oh, I can only imagine, dude. I've, just based on just based on the last year of our of our correspondence and everything else, uh, I can only imagine what's what's lurking beneath there's the surface. There's stuff to come, man, I tell you. Uh, now, when I'm ready to talk about it, there's stuff to come. When you're ready to talk about it, you let me know. You know we always have the uh, we always have the chance to go on the air and talk about yeah. it. Um, you, I, and on that note, I should mention uh, the you teased it earlier. You mentioned me in the book here. I don't know. If, I don't know if I if I if I committed a faux pas or not because you say at 6 a.m. on the morning of my departure, a buddy Tim Benall, host of Benall of America radio program, called to wish me luck. Yeah, yeah. So it was out of bed and on the road. Did I did I wake you? 
No, I was just about to leave. Okay. And you phoned me. And I thought, no, I love it. I okay. Love it. You were like, I appreciate that shit. It was like, you were like, phone me up and like, go, good luck. And I was like, great, yeah? No, I like that sort of thing. Okay, good. That's good. Uh, you know, and and the, reason, the reason, you know, we did this story was because the first ever time we, when we, when we, the first ever radio show that we ever, I ever did was with, was with you. And we've been friends for a long time and we talk intermittently and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I wanted this story to be first broken to you. And, and there were a couple of other, there were a few other radio stations and, all that, and including other friends of mine. I said, no, I promised Tim, I, you know, I gave my word, I would do this with Tim. So we did it with Tim. Yeah. And, you know, you sort of charted my progress. You know the sort of things I've done. You know you fought, You know we've chatted about all the things I've done over the years, and you've given me support when you know at little times like that when I've needed it. So um, that's why I mentioned it because those things can matter to me and they are important, and you were important at that moment. All right, awesome, thanks. I was afraid you were just taking a piss, like like you were trying to get a good night's sleep before the expedition. No, I wasn't taking a piss. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 I wasn't taking a piss. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it, it was because it, you, you, it's in the book because it stuck in my mind because I appreciated it. Awesome. Well, it was my pleasure to uh, remember that night. I was like, holy shit, Adam Davies leaving for Sumatra tomorrow. It's like midnight here. Maybe I can get him before he leaves. And luckily I did. So, uh, no, I appreciated it. It was a good omen. It was a nice call, you know, it cheered me up as I was about to go. Cause you are often, you, you go to these places, you, you, um, approach them with a mixture of, excitement and trepidation and the two things can be combined so um i was glad of it i was really glad of it and you know some of this stuff there's always humor with me because i like a laugh yeah, yeah absolutely so, you know, that's why we that's get along why so we're well. talking with brian and laurie and all that lot yeah we get along and we get along really well and we have a laugh but I, but you know my nature is even in the blackest times i'll, I'll have a laugh so and I, that's often what i remember so you know, when I was with Brian Sykes and I was worried about the bloody thing frigging killing me because it hates me, um, because obviously I had a relationship, you know, the relationship with Laurie is, you know, that was we were, that was our relationship. And then, of course, I'm, I'm hitting on its bloody girlfriend or whatever. Um, with Sykes, I remember him, you know, what we were wandering down and I was thinking, well, I'm. Am I am I am I going to snuff it here? Is he going to have a go at me? But we were having a laugh, you know. We had right. a laugh. It's black humour, and often in these situations, you do have a laugh. I remember with Jared McGilliard, and we're climbing up the mountains in the Himalayas, and we have a laugh because he's run out of fuel, he's exhausted, and we're having a laugh. And I'm calling this mount this this slope he's got to climb Egg Hill because he's got nothing in the gas tank and he's freaking exhausted and it's dangerous. And I, and he was like, I gave you my fucking egg, man. You know, <laughs> like, I'm busted. You know. And, and, and those sort of things get you through. Yeah? Yeah. The, you know, what I wanted to convey was the human nature, the laughs that you have um, in these situations. Often books by explorers can be... The, the, the one thing I didn't want to do with my book, and I think this is, a, is an important point, when I first read uh, accounts of explorers and the things that I'd done, I didn't, want to, I, I didn't like these frigging intrinsic, these introspective things where somebody sits there and thinks, well, you know, I looked at the pattern of the leaf. It was, it was beautiful. <laughs> it was Tuesday at 3.30. It was like, fuck that, you know? Right. I don't look at the pattern of the leaf. I'll have a drink and we'll have a laugh, and that's my nature, yeah? And, and that's what I wanted to convey. Because uh, those are the sort of things I remember. It's the human interactions that I remember. 
uh, uh, most strongly and how we how we overcome the adversity that we faced. Well, it's captured really well in uh, Man Beast's a personal investigation. I got two two quick last ones here. The pro- we, I asked you about this before the show started, mm-hmm. but I wanted to know more about it uh, when the show was on the air. Prostitute taxis in Padong. What is what is this? What is what is <laughs> What is this? Some kind of taxi, and they pick you up, and there's well, already a prostitute waiting right for now. you. No, I did not fucking partake in any of those prostitute taxis. Been <laughs> all before you start. Okay, all right. No, basically what they are is, <laughs> I'm, I'm only joking. Basically what they are is, um, they're 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 big taxis, and they have like they're like limos, and uh, the prostitutes are inside them, and every everywhere we walked, they were trying to pull us in, you know, to get in and, and sort of say. Um, Say, go in the taxi, come in the taxi, you know, we'll, we'll have a shot. And it was like, no, absolutely not. But they're like big limos. Weird. That's the strangest thing. I presume it's yeah, is it like strange. legal or is it is this kind of like, does they just turn the other no, way on it? it will be illegal. No, it'll be illegal. Yeah, be like, but, but I kept well away from them. I, well away from them. But they are like big limo, limos. And so, yeah. Weird. That's the strangest thing I've ever heard. That's so odd. Um and then the the other mm-hmm. the, the the one story that I I wanted some clarification on, uh, which is completely outside of the realm of of all the extreme exploring and the cryptids, is um, you, you take a trip in the book to Norwich as part of your job, and you make some remark about about cannonballs in in the windows, and the next thing you know they're they're, they're like offended and say that you're you're not going to build a car park in in Norwich. I didn't understand why how that all happened or why that happened or Maybe it's like an English thing that I didn't understand, but it was like, what, what, what that the was hell very happened English. there? It, it yeah. was just the fact that I went to this this little town. I come from Manchester in northern England, mm-hmm. and the idea that there would be cannonballs in the in, – in, I mean, you know, if you think about it, it's, Manchester is a lovely city, but it has some rough parts, in the same way as Boston would have some rough parts. Right. Yeah? You would not go into a bar in Boston – I would imagine, and have big cannonballs in the window. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because they may go through them. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, 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 but the same, by the same token, you know, nothing happened in this little town, Harwich. And um, the fact that there was a car park being built was, was not being built was, was, was a news item, yeah? Yeah. So, so that's what that's about. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, now, the final question is the same question we have every time we talk uh, – and I think I hit it with you over the summer when we talked uh, originally uh, for season eight. You know, what's, what, as, from what you can tell us, you know, usually around this time of year, you're kind of putting the pieces together on on the next year's worth of stuff. Uh, is there anything you can tell us on what's next for you? Because clearly the expeditions have not stopped. Clearly uh, the, the the adventures have not stopped. So, so you know, do, is there anything on the drawing board that you can tease us with for 2015, or is it all still sort of in the planning stages? It's in the planning stage. There, there, there are three definite options. Okay. Um, but, but I haven't decided which one I want to do yet. All right. I'm not quite there yet. But I will do soon. All right. I will do soon. And we'll talk about that offline. I'll let you know. You'll get the inside job. You always do. That's the story here, man. That's the story for sure. I appreciate it. You know that. But I can promise you an extraordinary story when I'm ready to talk. I'm just not ready yet. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, I, you know I love your extraordinary stories. Uh, this is Tonight <laughs> alone has been just absolutely amazing. The new book is Man Beasts, A Personal Investigation. Folks can get that on Amazon. You can find out more from Adam Davies at adamdaviesexplorer.com. And he's also on Facebook. Just punch in Adam Davies. Uh, that should be it. Pretty simple to find him. Adam, i got to say, man, thank you so much. Uh, I 
remember you contacting me like in February and being like, listen, there's something going on here. I got to talk to you about and <laughs> yeah. when it when the time comes, we will share it with the world. And I was like, what is he talking about? Then we then we sat down and chatted, I think like maybe six weeks later or a month later. And and you told me just the basic gist because you wanted me to hear you wanted me to really get it, get it, uh, you know, get it fresh when it all when it all broke and, and told me the gist of it. And it was like, wow, dude. And, and I'm so honored that you would want to share it on Banal of America first. I really am uh, so proud of that, that, that you would choose us to be the place to, to share this story. And, you know, I know Lori's going to be listening later. So big thanks to her for joining us on this conversation and really uh, breaking the story here on the program. And like I said, thank you so much, man. I really do appreciate it. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this shakes out, what Dr. Sykes's book has to say, you know, and where it all goes from here, because this seems like it's the tip of the iceberg on something even much, much bigger that hopefully uh, will percolate and grow down the line. Mm. Well, I hope so. It's my belief that it is. I hope so, Tim, and, it, and it, it was, it's always a pleasure. I mean, you're a good mate, and um, we must meet up next year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll talk. We'll talk off the air, and we'll figure it out, and uh, we'll plan something for for 2015 or 2016 if we have to. But we'll definitely do it because uh, the time has come for for a, an Adam Davies mm-hmm. Timonall Summit, where hopefully we can. Uh, Go go looking for some some strange cryptids or something like that. So thank you again, my friend. I really 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 do appreciate uh, you choosing Banal of America to share this story and and I hope the listeners uh, have been as riveted by all this as I have been. And uh, pick up Man Beasts, a personal investigation, folks, and check out AdamDaviesExplorer.com. I'm going to do the plugs now. So if you want to take off, Adam, you're more than welcome. If you want to chat off the air, uh, just hang in there for about two minutes and let me. Let's chat off the air for a few minutes and then we'll. we'll... All right, sounds good. Well, folks, what you're listening to right now is Banal of America Audio. It is the podcast of the website, banalofamerica.com. Pretty simple to find us. Just punch in banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Just punch in Banal of America. It's pretty simple. That's where you'll find out what's coming up for BOA in the future. What you have been listening to over the last two hours and 45 minutes has been a live conversation with Adam Davies and also Lori Simmons in a worldwide exclusive interview talking about the big guy project, as Lori Simmons calls it, the secret Dr. Brian Sykes expedition to America in May of 2013. And you just listened to it all for free, folks. How do we do that? That's simple. That is via donations from the BOA Audio listeners. There are two ways that you can make donations. The first is via PayPal. Just head on over to Banal of America and click the PayPal button. If you don't trust the Internet and you want to make a snail mail donation, there's also a P.O. Box address at Banal of America where you can find how to send those donations. Since this is the first part of our two-part season finale I'm going to push you hard here for donations, folks. Season 8 has been a year-long season. We started it in the beginning of October of 2013. Here it is, the end of October 2014. This is episode 34. As I said, all of them have been free. And if you can make a donation to help us get into the black after what has been a fairly costly season, given the number of live programs, it would be greatly appreciated so we can keep the archive absolutely free and keep the show free going forward. So 
So please, if you can, make a donation. As I said at the beginning of the program, this is just part one of a two-part season finale week. Uh, I don't even know. I don't think it's going to be possible to top this massive conversation, but we're going to try on Thursday evening with David Polides, one of the most requested guests ever for BOA Audio. The listeners have been writing to me for years asking me to get David Polides on the program. Of course, he is the author of the captivating and bizarre Missing 411 series of books. We're going to have him on for an hour Thursday evening, October 30th at 8 p.m. And per usual, as has been the case this season, it will be completely live and free for BOA Audio listeners. That's Thursday, October 30th at 8 p.m. David Polides talking about the Missing 411 phenomenon. And since we only have David for an hour on Thursday, I'll save all of my reminiscing and all of my pontificating and all of my ruminating on Season 8 for Thursday evening because we've gone quite a while here and I want to talk to Adam off the air a little bit as well. So stay tuned for what's going to happen with Been All of America Season 9 when all that's going to unfold as well as the holiday specials. What's the story with those? You're going to find all that out on Thursday's program as we put the final nail in the coffin of BOA Audio Season 8 and get ready to bloom BOA Audio Season 9. Thank you so much, folks, for listening. And, of course, to the hardcore BOA Audio listeners, thank you for your enduring support of the program. You are the folks who've listened for years. You've heard Adam on the show a myriad of times, and, and what a crescendo, what a, what a moment here with Adam Davies on this program uh, as we close out Season 8. Just tremendous, tremendous stuff. And thanks to all the BOA Audio listeners who've been on this journey with me and Adam and this program for so many years. Just uh, just a wonderful moment, I think, tonight. And, of course, thank you for making BOA Audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. But until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off. <laughs>